This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff. Over there is Eric. We got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, again, it's we, a packed show. Packed show. So packed, in fact, Eric, we delayed it by a day. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we had soccer to talk about. Like, they were uh, men's soccer's uh, run in the NCAA comes to an end at the hands of the number two seed, uh, Pitt. We'll talk about that. Uh, golf is just, golf and tennis are just getting going. Uh, we will preview their uh, NCAA tournaments. Got three interviews. Uh, three, yes, we're jam packed full of interviews. We got Emily Marin, we got John Roddick, we've got uh, Brian Kenyeko. I mean, all exclusive, right? All here exclusive. On Nobody else has this. I mean, we're totally jam packed. Um, we're the show where the coaches come. That's right, but. We also have some NFL draft stuff to talk about because that just finished up. Uh, we'll also recap softball uh, and uh, and baseball from earlier this week. But let us get started with our NFL draft talk. Uh, of course, you can follow us on UCF underscore banneret, facebook.com slash black and gold banneret, and at black and gold banneret.com, where you would find the wonderful stat boy drew on twitter of course andrew glukov joining us here on the Black also and exclusive podcast. right here on also Black exclusive you can't find hit well you sometimes you can find him other places but we won't but you know well we had you on drew to talk to preview the nfl draft now we're going to review the nfl draft and the and the school record five guys who got selected from ucf breaks the school record from 2003 and uh, also tied in uh, 2018, um, Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson, Jacob Harris, Tay Gowan, Trey Nixon. Uh, let's start with uh, with Richie, who went number 40 overall. Highest pick since Mike Hughes uh, went number 30 overall in 2018. Fifth highest Juicy F draft pick of all time overall. Right. And uh, we both talked about like he's a steal anywhere. At this point, like we're, like we might look back on this and say he was. How did all these teams pass on him in the first round? He goes to the Atlanta Falcons in the second round. Your evaluation of how Richie fits in with the Dirty Birds? Well, I thought this was a perfect pick, both where he was in the draft and who picked him up. Uh, you know, we there was uh, mock drafts that had Aaron Robinson, you know, squeaking in the first round at one point, uh, Richie Grant squeaking in the first round, but the the truth was. Uh, most likely wasn't going to happen. Uh, he went in the early half of the second round, which was where I, I where I pegged him. Uh, and, and I think Atlanta being uh, a rebuilding team, you know, granted you have a really good offense, but that defense was a mess. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity for, for Richie Grant. In fact, he's viewed as one of the top picks value wise in the draft because he's first round talent Falling into the second round for a team that really needs him. Uh, it's not like going to, you know, uh, a New York Giants who have the safety covered, you know, and with, with real peppers. Uh, this is a case where they need a guy. He's the guy and he's He's got a great opportunity to fit right in. I, I think he couldn't have really picked a better opportunity. 
The safeties that they have ahead of them right now, I'm looking on our lads right now, are uh, Eric Harris and Jalen Hawkins. Um, he's going to challenge for that starting for that for a starting job, isn't he? Uh, he's going to challenge real quick. Uh, granted, preseason has changed a bit this year. We only have three preseason games. We have 17 regular season games. Another story for another day, based on how we feel about that. Oh boy. However, I'm, we got to accept it for what it is. So with a lot of teams having stuff away from the team facility, it may hinder him a little bit, but th- this is a guy chock full of talent. I mean, it's, it's just amazing at, at how he's developed as a player. Uh, he's incredibly instinctive and intelligent as far as football-wise. And I think he has a knack for the ball that that's really going to push him in, you know, into that, if not starting safety job, easily the second one and, and get in on the field, you know, throughout the rotation. So gifted in the run, so gifted in pass defense, just everything he does is amazing. I, I, I think you're hundred percent right. He absolutely Falcons knocked it out of the park. Uh, he's going to be there for a while and be very successful. Draft pick I was most excited about came in the very next round, the third round pick number 71, Aaron Robinson going you to made my, this happen. You my made this beloved happen. New York Giants who need some who need some DB help, no doubt about that. Uh, Aaron is the first UCF player ever taken by the Giants in the draft. Now, we've had two UCF players play for the Giants before. Darcy Johnson was an undrafted free agent, and Joe Burnett actually uh, was on the Giants offseason roster Um uh, after he was originally picked up by the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the day. But um, but Aaron goes to the Giants. Uh, and like you mentioned when we were talking about Richie, guy who had some first-round grades, uh, dropped down to the third. Um, the reviews on his pick were spectacular. And I think he might have a chance to challenge for a starting job, if not this season, certainly next year, because I think they really liked what they saw from him on special teams as well your evaluation of aaron robinson going to the giants i think this is also an excellent fit Uh, the giants definitely need some work in the corners and the thing about aaron robinson more so than richie grant is is his flexibility he can line up on the slot he can line up outside heck he even though he's undersized to do it he's lined up at linebacker i mean he's pretty much done it all from the defensive back standpoint uh you look at the giants depth chart You've got James Bradbury on one side, which I think will, will maintain his starting spot. You have Adore Jackson on the other. Uh, you know, Robinson's kind of buried in the depth chart early on, but I think he's got a, a really good opportunity to get in on those nickel defenses his first year and then break in the, the actual starting outside spot by year two. Giants defense is starting to look really strong right now. He could be a big part of that. I mean, you never know what injuries are going to come across, but – if he is able to contribute right off the bat, like that could be pretty scary. They're going to be a tough well. He's team going to, to have go to. I mean, in this NFL with three wide sets, you look at the NFC East with Dallas with right the three wides they throw out there with CD Lamb and Cooper and and Gallup and stuff like that. Aaron Robinson's going to be a factor uh, right away. I think I'm just blown away that Jeff made this happen. He preached. He called out the Giants last week at the end of the show, saying, "I want a UCF player." Dave Gettleman, listen to Jeff. Finally. Yeah, right. 
Dave Gettle, Dave Gettleman's been killing it. He listens to me, drafts a UCF player. He's Trader Dave traded down twice for the first time in his life this draft. They're stacked say. for the 2022 draft. It's a great time to be Dave Gettleman right now. He said he was never going to draft that or trade down in the draft. And what does he do? He does it twice. Guess what? Trader Dave up in the house. All right. What I thought was the biggest surprise of the NFL draft came with the third UCF player selected in the fourth round, number 141 overall, Jacob Harris going to the LA Rams. Um, we heard from everybody all over the place that, you know, they love the measurables. The question is, you know, did he, you know, is he enough of a finished product as a wide receiver or a tight end? The Rams got, he was listed on the telecast as wide receiver slash tight end. Um, and, you know, going back to, I mean, let's not forget, Jacob has not been playing football for very long. The first time he went out for football was a senior of high school. Then he went to Western Kentucky for a year. Then he came to UCF. So he's still a very raw product. But the Rams see something in him that uh, that they really like. And, you know, working with Matthew Stafford, that's one way to get better in a, in a hurry. Uh, what do you think about um, uh, about uh, Jacob Harris going to going out to Los Angeles now? Uh, I, I think this as far as where he was drafted, this was a reach. Uh, they he could have easily been drafted a round and a half later. Uh, this was basically on talent more so than skill. The skill is going to have to be taught, but he's going to be a tight end. Uh, he's, he's just, he's not built to be a wide receiver in the fact of he doesn't have good enough hands. And, and, you know, you talk about not playing very long. It's hard to build up those skills in a short amount of time to be NFL ready. He's going to be on special teams. He's going to be buried in the depth chart for a while. They don't need, another tight end really at this point um you know yeah he's, right got, now i'm looking at he's listed as the fifth tight end you've got tyler higby as your number one tight end you're doing you're doing okay uh jacob harris is is not gonna a push for any starting time there he's gonna definitely be a special teams warrior uh because he's built to be you know a gunner you know he's got strength to break through a block and he's got the raw speed to just burn down field so that's where I think he's going to end up being, you know, most well-known kick coverage, punt coverage. And he's going to learn the, the ways of the blocking through, through coaching. Uh, this is a project, you know, this was a flyer. I thought he was going to go sixth to seventh round as, as a low risk, high reward player. Los Angeles went high on him, got it, got him the fourth round, which shocked me, but you know, Good luck to him. I'm, I'm happy for him. I know there was a lot of people who said he should have come back to school for another year. That would have been the seventh year at school. I don't blame well, clearly, him. Clearly, yeah, no, reason. yeah. Look, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. For all those people, are like, why is he, why should he not come back? Well, now you know why. Yeah. <laughs> He's I, been well, in school for a while. How many been, degrees can a guy get? <laughs> well, like, I mean, he, he played soccer at Florida Gulf Coast. He went up to, I believe, Western Kentucky. Yeah. And then ended up at UCF. I, that That's a long road. I don't blame him for not wanting to stick for a seventh year. I mean, you're the old man as it is. At that point, you're freaking ancient. And, you know, I remember when Jordan Aikens left to go to the draft, it, age played a major factor, and, and age had to play a major factor here because the clock's already ticking. But, you know, congratulations to Mr. Harris uh, for getting the fourth-round pick. And, you know, 
I would love to see him kind of hit his stride as far as getting his hands in order, because if he can learn how to catch the ball and catch it consistently, uh, he could be a very dangerous player. Boy, he could be fun to watch. If, if all, if everything breaks the right way for him in LA, he could be a lot of fun to watch in that offense. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're cause he's play, he's playing with Matthew Stafford now. Um, we know about uh, Sean McVay and the, and and all the things that he likes to do on it. And this is a good offense. You yeah. know, you've got Stafford, you got Cam Akers at running back, uh, Cooper Cup, you know, Robert Woods, and, and you know, you've got you know an old man in Deshaun uh, Deshaun Jackson who's hoping to find one last hoorah. I mean, there there's some talent there. And it feels like there's going to be some spots probably opening on that roster in the next couple of years because they've had kind of this two, three, four-year run, some of these guys are coming up on contract years, too, and that could be another opportunity for Jacob to slip in. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, fourth UCF player taken in the sixth round on day uh, on day three of the draft. T- poor Tay Gowan was just waiting for someone to get him, and finally they did. He goes to Arizona uh, with pick number 223 overall. Um, another DB here, and we thought that, you know, I think that he was taken a little bit lower than I expected. I think that he kind of fell a little bit. Um, what do you think about that? It, 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 Arizona got a little bit of a steal here. Oh, Arizona got a great steal. This was simply a case of not enough tape. You know, he played only one year at UCF in 2019, opted out in 2020. There really wasn't much to work with, and that hurt him. That hurt him a lot because there were players who did opt out that didn't have a problem getting drafted high, but they had more than one year worth of film to, to look at. They had at least two, maybe even three. Uh, that's what hurt him here. And and I as a result, Arizona got a steal. I thought Gallon was going to go in the fourth round. I actually thought him and Harris were picked in the wrong spots. They should swap, yeah. you know, flip them over. But when you look at the roster, uh, Arizona offers a lot of opportunity, especially out the gate as a potential nickelback, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tay Gowan probably not going to start his first year, but there's a lot of talent there and there's a lot of opportunity. You have Malcolm Butler on one side and then it drops off. You got Robert Alford and Byron Murphy. Uh, it drops off. And that's where you have an opportunity for, for Tay Gowan to kind of squeeze in. He could be the third guy early on. But uh, I, I don't see him as, you know, starting on, on the opposite of Malcolm Butler in year one. I, I think being away from the game, is it's going to take, especially coming into the NFL where the game is that much faster, I think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him to, to really get going. Because, you know, he went through his pro day. There wasn't much rust there. But, I mean, you're comparing pro day versus NFL speed. And I think there's going to be a bit of an adjustment there. What I like about this is the fact that he's going to a really strong defense that has a good pass rush. And if he's in that sort of nickel or dime back situation, if he can work his way up the depth chart and get in on those third down situations, he's going to have a good time out there. Because, I mean, think like they just got uh, J.J. Watt. They got Chandler Jones in there now. Uh they drafted Zaven Collins, UCF killer Zaven Collins, who's oh, probably going to be their starting oh, middle I'm linebacker. I'm such a Collins fan. God, I love that guy. I'm so happy he's out of the league. He's out of the American. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Anyway. Go ahead and wreak havoc in the desert southwest. I'm fine with that. Um, and, you know, but you mentioned the guys who are their current starting corners, at least projected to be Robert Alford and 
Malcolm Butler, those guys are getting old. And new talent coming in, Tay Gowan might have a really good opportunity there. All right. The guy who broke the record for UCF in the waning moments of the draft, uh, the New England Patriots, seventh round, number 242 overall, nabbed Trey Nixon. We thought that it was kind of borderline whether Trey would go or not. Um, Some people thought that he could go ahead of Jacob Harris at some point. Um, But but Trey goes to the Pats. Um, And this is what kind of scares me a little bit was... um, I forget who brought this up on Twitter, but I retweeted it out. Uh, they're looking for another slot guy, and here comes Trey Nixon, who seems all of a sudden tailor-made with his frame and his speed to be that Wes Welker, Julian Julian Edelman-type guy, like the next guy in line in that spot. And that scares the heck out of me because it's the New England Patriots, for crying out loud. But... Um, but Again, great for Trey. He gets he gets taken, and you know if Bill Belichick sees something in you, you know that's 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 never a bad thing. Oh, not at all. I, I've, he's got a whole career's worth of of evaluations, and, and you look at the Patriots; they're thin. That wide receiving core is is not strong. Yeah, uh, that offense needs a lot of work. I, is, I'm looking at their depth chart right now. I don't know who these terrible. guys are. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know who Kendrick Bourne is. I mean, Nelson. I mean, I, we all know who got, Nelson Aguilar is because right. he drops the ball so many times. But, you know, and he's also got, I don't know how much Nelson's got left. Jacoby Myers is out there. Nikhil Harry, they've been waiting for him to take off for way too long. Uh, they've got Christian Wilkerson, who they picked up from San Francisco. Somebody named Gunnar Olszewski. Uh, and then Matthew Slater is still hanging on over there. And then Trey Nixon. Yeah, I'm this this is not he a may, he may be the core. third he may be the third best wide receiver in that core right now. Uh that that is a very possible uh comment. <laughs> it's, it's not a hot take. Um right. it's a very realistic take and uh I'll put it out there. I I thought Trey Nixon was going to get drafted before Jacob Harris. But I'm also going to put out there, I expected Trey Nixon to get drafted before Marlon Williams, who did not go get drafted at all. We'll get to that in just a second. But um, Marlon, very shortly after the draft concluded, uh, his agency announced that he had signed a, uh, a deal with the Houston Texans. Uh, it's a, officially a, a two-year deal. Is it two years, Eric, three or three year. years? Three it's a three-year deal? Okay. But he has to make the team in order for that deal to take effect. But given how quickly the Texans snapped Marlon up, I would imagine that they that he must have been high on their priority list. And is this a good spot for him? Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, I don't think it's a great spot. Uh, but I mean, in the case of, of Marlon Williams, you know, you, you you really want to go to a team that needs work because he has to prove that he belongs in the NFL. I mean, his measurables from his pro day were so bad. It basically eclipsed all the good stuff he did as a player. And do you really think that though? I mean, we know I do. I I do. And and to to what extent do, did the pro scouts really put on that? Because it's not the same situation as Tay Gowan, where Tay was out of football for a year, right? It's it's three things. It's three things. It's one that, you know, his pro day was, was bad. It was just flat out bad Two, It's that 
he acts being under a Josh Heupel offense. It's basically kind of viewed as a system player. And most of his stuff was either bubble screens or fly down the field. There was really no complexities to the offense. And, and that hurt him. You know, it actually hurt Dave Davis too, when they were going through his uh, draft you know, profile and talked about route running and stuff where it was pretty much non-existent because the, the routes that, that Josh Heupel implemented didn't require much effort. Uh, if there was anyone who could have used an extra year under a new coaching staff, it was Marlon Williams uh, to be able to prove that he he's not just, you know, a good pair of hands. He's, he's much, there's much more depth to his, to his player profile and the lack of raw speed doesn't translate to lack of field speed. We all, we know there's, there's track speed and there's field speed. His field speed's not bad and his ability to break tackles is fantastic, but that gets eclipsed by the fact of he's caught under a gimmick offense that that's hurt him. It's hurt Gabe Davis. It's uh, unless something, you know, you know, if you need next year at the moment, it hurts Dylan Gabriel. Uh, and it basically hurts almost every other offensive player. Uh, I can tell you, you know, Trey Nixon probably would have benefited from a more traditional system than what Josh Heupel employed. And that's why I think uh, next year uh, UCF football is going to be very important for guys who are looking to get into the 2022 draft. The other thing I think that kind of that where Marlon's going to have a little bit of an issue in Houston, well, two things. Number one, we have no idea what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson right now. We don't know if he's going to play next year or not, um, given what all, all the stuff that he has to deal with right now. Number two, their wide receiver core is stacked right now. Uh, you know, Brandon Cooks, Andre Roberts, Randall Cobb. I know Randall Cobb's getting old, but he's still there. Kiki Kuti had a had some had a few good moments last year. They drafted Nico Collins. They picked up Chris Conley out of uh, at, uh, away from Jacksonville. Dante Moncrief is out there, so. There's a lot of guys he's going to have to climb past in the depth chart. So it was the same thing that we were wondering, like, how do you set yourself apart when you're another six foot tall, 220 pound wide receiver? That's that's a tough ask. It is. And and that's one of the big things, you know, between what Jacob Harris was dealing with, what Trey Nixon's was dealing with and what Marlon Williams walks into is you're right. This Houston wide receive core, which usually runs a three wide receiver set. They're, they are stacked. Uh, this is a very, very talented offense if Deshaun Watson sticks around. Now, last year, the wheels just fell off. I mean, just yeah. everything that can go wrong went wrong. Your offensive line was basically Swiss cheese, and it just kind of just snowballed from there. But if you look at the skill positions, I mean, there's not a bad, really a bad spot in the skill position arena. Even if Deshaun Watson doesn't play, you know, Tyrod Taylor is an okay stopgap obviously at that point you're, you're gonna tank for whoever rises up from the cesspool of the 2022 you mean you don't have class. faith in third string quarterback ryan finley and the guy they drafted in the third round davis mills no <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> i don't yeah um two ucf players did not get drafted that we were thinking at least or, or, and didn't and haven't been signed yet as of Thursday, May the 6th. Um, Otis Anderson has so far gone unsigned and so has Greg McRae. I think, uh, you know, if, if we're being honest with ourselves here, 
It's not surprising that they didn't get drafted. I'm a little surprised that Otis hasn't gotten picked up. Um, you know, we, we talked about on Black and Gold Banneret this, the shortcomings that they have in terms of their size, where they fit in in an NFL offense. Um, do you see these guys getting perhaps a tryout down the road with some NFL team? Well, I think they'll get a rookie tryout. Uh, those are nothing to do. You can do them over a weekend. Do I see them sticking? No, I really don't. They're both a little bit, you know, they're both undersized. Uh, they're under speed. Uh, you know, this isn't like Adrian Killens, who, you know, is on the fringe of the Philadelphia roster, but has such outlandish speed that really keeps him around. You know, I like, I was a big Greg McRae fan. I, I like how he kind of went from rag to riches, came from Navy, was a walk-on, earned a scholarship, and eventually led the team in rushing. And, and Otis Anderson, I, I got to, you know, ask a bunch of questions at at the, at the Peach Bowl when no one would ask any questions. And uh, so I've kind of enjoyed these both of these players, but, you know, it, it pains me to say they're not NFL material. Uh, there, there's just too much out there that are like them, but bigger. And, and you can't replace that lack of size if you don't have the speed. And, you know, McCray is more of a traditional back. McCray, uh, Otis Anderson has that returning experience, but I, I don't, he's not flash enough like you know a dante hall uh kind of guy who who really was only a return guy i mean he was not a great wide receiver and he would play occasionally but he was a return guy yeah that or like a tyree kill for example yeah. well tyree kill is is a killer wide receiver too that's why i didn't really use him as an example because he's good everywhere that he plays um dante hall was was really good at one thing and that was return the ball yeah. and, and you know, Anderson could be that guy as far as, you know, the knowledge, but he just doesn't have the physical assets to, to be that burner. He just doesn't have that extra gear. And, and it's unfortunate because, you know, those, those guys have worked hard, they've grown and we've watched them and we always root for, you know, UCF alums to do well, but I just don't see them getting anywhere. It's a bummer because here's where Eric Lopez, a developmental league could help, you know? Or you have a degree and you move on. At some point, football moves on, man. Yeah. That's the way. It goes. I just, I just like. It. I, I always subscribe to you know one of the things that, that I forget who told me that it's like all you ever want is a shot. Like if you get your shot and it doesn't work out, a lot of guys are like, I can live with that, you know. I, I, but I, but I at least want to want the chance to prove that I am better. At least as good or better than. Well, some we'll of the see. Guys if I, I gotta think. We'll see if they get lined up in the CFL, the Canadian Football League. Once CFL would be a very interesting place for Otis Anderson. Assuming right? CFL gets back off the ground, they right. are they're right. struggling badly. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Financially, they're gonna have to see if they if we even have a Canadian football. Yeah. I can't imagine that would that would go under after all the years that they've been that they have that they have existed. But I mean, you know, COVID does weird things to, to has done weird things to the business landscape of the world. But um, all right, so this is my last question for you, Drew. And Eric, I want to throw this out to you as well. This is the draft uh, school record. Five players drafted, most ever drafted in one year. Is this the best draft ever uh, from UCF's perspective? Ooh, um, well, I, 
I don't know if I would say best. Uh, I would I would think the that 2017 or the 2018 draft may have been better, but I you can't ignore the sheer numbers. I I I just think that the the players on the 18 squad or it was just a better team. I, I think the 19 team was the best top to bottom, but you know that's neither here nor there. Yeah, what's the criteria? Are we talking based on what they're going to do moving forward, or what they have done at UCF? Right. I, I, I would like. Yeah, I would say what they what they're going to do. What you project them doing moving forward? Because I mean, I look at 03, right? And and I want to make sure. Let's make sure of this because you know, younger audience. We this is not the first time UCF has produced NFL talent. They've produced NFL talent for many years. Yeah. You look at 03. They had Doug Gabriel, Mike Mabry, Elton Patterson. Uh, and Asante Samuel. Asante Samuel's had a, you could argue, an, a Hall of Fame career. The other guys, you know, Doug Gabriel had some, you know, decent moments yeah, the there other, in the NFL. The other guys were serviceable players for a period of time when they were in there. Mike maybe uh, played uh, for a little Elton bit. Patterson. Elton Patterson kind of bounced around for a while, but was effective in his time. And then Mabry just not much happened with him. Right. So, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, who, what was the other big years? I mean, the, the you know, you had Kamal. I mean, an underrated one, 2013. It's a small class, but Latavius Murray and Kamal Ishmael have had good careers, especially yeah. Murray, who's had a Pro Bowl career, but there's only two guys. You know, uh, you look at... 15, you have Brashad Perriman and then Clayton Gathers. Clayton Gathers has been playing for... Has been, yeah, has the injuries the have kind of hurt Gathers. I think his career would have been better if he, you know, he's had so many injuries yeah. there. You can say the same about Brashad, too. Brashad, too. Uh, 17, I mean, uh, Shaquille's now with Jacksonville. Mike Hughes, I think you just, uh, Minnesota just declined a fifth-year option on him. This is a make-or-break year for him. Same you could say for Traquan Smith and New Orleans, uh, Aikens and Shaquem. I mean, you know, it just depends on what your definition. I think this has the potential from a depth standpoint to be the most productive in the NFL because I think Grant's going to be tremendous. Uh, I think Aaron Robinson could be pretty good with the Giants, and I, I like Gowan personally uh to to do well but is this the greatest class it just depends on what your definition of that because um you know can Richie Grant reach a level of Asante Samuel you know does he have to do that to comp you know I don't know we'll see I mean that's a a big tall order but it has a chance I I think it would have it has an optimistic because the secondary guys, I think, have a shot. I, I'm not as high on Trey with New England as you guys are. I still have a lot of questions there. I think that's going to be a too tight in offense, personally. Uh, I don't think they're they, Bill Belichick doesn't really care about wide receivers, and I don't think Franks is going to materialize to much more than a project, maybe a, a special teams guy. You mean Harris? Right, right, right. What did I say? I'm old. I'm getting Franks. It. Yeah, yeah. Why I keep saying? I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but uh, so I don't know. I mean. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, still a pretty strong class overall. To get that number up to five now for future classes will be it's kind of cool. Yeah. It sets right. a new bar. Yeah. Yep. It sets a new bar. You're exactly right. And uh, and Gus likes that. Gus Mazzo, I mean, it's fairly easy. He's out to on help, Twitter about it. Right, because it helps tell players when you're recruiting them, hey, you can come here and get to the next level. That's what O'Leary did. That's what O'Leary did was develop guys and say, we come here, you're going to get a degree, and you're going to get a chance to play at the next level, all right? You sound more like Robert De Niro than George O'Leary. I I don't know. Jeff does a better O'Leary than I do. (laughs) It is what it is. My O'Leary impression is not very good at all. (laughs) But uh, all right, so that's where we're at with those five guys. Congratulations to uh, Richie Aaron, Jacob Tay, and Trey, and uh, 
We'll be following them as their uh, careers progress uh, at the next level at that shortened preseason. And thanks to you, of course, Drew, for all your help over the past week. Also, I got I got to give a huge shout out to Jeremy Brenner, who just absolutely knocked it out of the park on NFL Draft Weekend. Um, He's back to being a Texans fan because yes. they signed Marlon Williams. I know, oh, I know. That so, was the best news of the weekend. We got Marlon and Jordan back there, so that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting to watch. But, um, but yeah, congratulations to all those guys, and I, and again, big huge thanks to Jeremy. Huge thanks also to um, to Danny Medina who helped out uh, with this as well. And thanks, of course, to you, Drew, for all your insight. And uh, real quick, who's gonna be the first UCF player drafted in twenty twenty two? I'm gonna go at this moment and say Kalia Davis. Okay, Ooh. I like that. Is that, like your, that. is that your Strong. prospect? So that's your number one prospect going into next year? As of right now, if if Dylan Gabriel can prove that he's not a system quarterback, have a great year with a much more complex uh, scheme, he may be able to, to, to jump up the, the draft boards. But right now, I would say out of the top 10, he's probably looking at eight, seven. Okay. And, and it's not his fault. It, it, that was all coaching and schemes. All right. Well. We got you down on that first take right there. All right, so you're, we're holding you to it. Andrew Glukov joining us on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Stat Boy Drew on Twitter. Thanks again, Drew. Always, anytime. All right, stick around. When we get back, we're going to be talking some golf, soccer, and tennis uh, as uh, the Knights barrel through the postseason this spring. Eric Lopez, here we go. That's right. We got a couple national title contenders. This will be fun. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Uh, recording this on Thursday evening, May the 6th, uh, in the aftermath of the end of UCF men's soccer's uh, season as uh, they face number two seed Pitt up in Cary, North Carolina, uh, after their uh, second round victory. But Pitt got the best of them, uh, to say the least, in this one, Eric, as... Uh, uh, their tournament ends in the sweet as UCF's tournament ends in the Sweet 16 uh, with a loss with a four nothing loss to Pitt. Um, Pitt scored in the first minute, 23 seconds in, uh, and then they got another one in the 12th minute uh, and the 22nd minute, and then that was that was pretty much it. Uh, even though UCF outshot Pitt 17 to 11, including nine to three in that first half, all of all three of Pitt's first half shots went in the net. Um, rough day out there for Yannick Ertl. Rough day for, well, pretty much everybody. Um, but uh, Pitt showed why they're the number two seed, man. I thought that they played extremely well. A couple of people said, hey, our passing was pretty weak. I don't think the passing really was all that weak. I think that Pitt made it look weak with how fast they were. They were incredible, uh, especially on the front line. They were just the better team. And yeah, sometimes they, they, you just yeah. got to tip your cap. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, there was a couple turnovers. So you'll hear Coach Calabrese here in a moment talk about some of the miscues they had that set up Pitt for some goals. But even without that, Pittsburgh was the better team. I mean, Pittsburgh, they came into this game. They were fourth in the country in goals scored. They, uh, you know, Valentin Noel, the ACC Player of the Year, is third in the country in goals scored. This is – they're really lit legit. I mean, they've scored now 10 goals in this postseason. And, you know, they're a legit national title contender and – UCF just dug themselves a hole, and that's tough. Pitt had amazing opportunities offensively. 
they have tremendous firepower. And, you know, Coach Calabrese, I talked to him afterwards in the post-match. He said, you know, he liked some of the things they did. But at the end of the day, and you know this, Jeff, we've talked about this team. They like to live on the edge. They like to take risks. And sometimes when you take risks, it does not work out for you. It was nothing Pitt necessarily did. It's It was really just decisions that we made in, in an area of the field where um, you – you cannot make these kind of mistakes. Um, you know, we, we've always kind of encouraged our team to play out of the back, and um, we've been really effective at doing that. And, and, and we just we were not efficient in, in those moments. And the, the reality is if, if you play this way and the way that we play and you give away possession in those areas um, the way we did today, uh, it, it, you know, you have to be, you have to be very fortunate not not to concede, um, and uh, and different teams make different choices in, in, in terms of you know whether they choose to take that risk. Um, you know we choose to take that risk to play out because we think on the other side of that risk it's um, there's a benefit. But today today um, today we made too many mistakes, and it and it cost us in a big way. Scott Calories after the game talking about uh, the loss to Pitt. And, you know, he's right. But I think that's the that's the other thing that you have to give Pitt credit for is that they know how to take advantage of those kinds of things. And they're talented enough yeah. to be able to do it. That's it, As I was watching the game, I you know, it, it's funny. I was talking with um, I was talking with my wife about this. And it's and it's kind of a, an interesting thing. I'm and I'm like, I would rather as a fan this is just me speaking as a fan. If it's a choice in a situation like this, like would would you rather see, you know, UCF lose in a not close game or a close game? And my thought is I would rather see a not close game because then I know that that other team is that much better that they deserve to oh, I agree. they deserve to that they certainly deserve to advance. I agree. I think the SMU loss in overtime in 19 is way worse. Oh, yeah. That many, one hurts so much because a coin flip and it goes UCF's way. Plus, you could argue they were underseated. They shouldn't have had to go to SMU to play SMU. They should have been a top 18. So I, a thousand, they, they'll be fine. Look, look listen, if you if we were doing this in back in February and when they were one in three and you told me they would make a run to the Sweet 16, I would have said, you're crazy. I thought they were done at one and three. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember you're the one that said, hey, maybe they can go on a run. And I kind of scoffed at it. The, the the growth of this team has been remarkable. To reach the Sweet 16, I would argue they overachieved, if anything. Consider you, you had to replace Cal Jennings, obviously, who's now playing in the MLS right now, currently with LAFC. You lose, you know, Louis Perez, who's an All-American, one match into the season. He signs a pro contract. You had Yannick Ertl, who probably goes down as the second greatest goalkeeper in UCF sock, men's soccer history behind uh, Hall of Famer Winston DeBose. He missed two matches due to an injury. They had Giannis Learman missed time. This thing was a patchwork by Coach Calabrese and company. And to win a regular season title and a conference tournament title, get yourself back to a Sweet 16 for the second time in a row for this program, remarkable achievement. I think they overachieved and they ran into a buzzsaw in Pittsburgh. There's a reason why the ACC is number one when it comes to soccer. And, and you could argue in men's soccer and women's soccer this year. Um, 
And Pittsburgh was a team that played for the championship in the ACC and as a two seed nationally, it could win the national title. We could end up saying in a few weeks that UCF had lost to the eventual national champions. That's how yeah. good they are. I would not be surprised if that happens. I think looking back on this season, first of all, I think you're right. Tremendous success. Um, this team showed a lot of character, a lot of moxie um, to come back from, like you said, that one and three start where it looked, where th- they looked shell-shocked in those games and shook it off got all the way to the Sweet 16, did not lose another game until today. I mean, that's a remarkable achievement. And I think the thing that if you're a UCF fan, you have to be mindful of, and I think is this season sort of reminded me of 2017 with this team. And I'll tell you why. When Cal left, right, or, or they're trying to figure out to who to replace Cal Jennings, right? Cal came in, and back in 2017, he was replacing a prolific goal scorer uh, himself and really came on at the end of the year. Remember, he didn't even start until October, and then when he got the start, you know, he just started, he scored seven goals in the second half of the season, and then all of a sudden, we learned who Cal Jennings was the next season because he got to take over. And I think the guy, and this is not to put too much pressure on him, but I think that the guy who we saw do that sophomore year Cal Jennings act was Luca Dorado. Yeah, he came on towards the end of the year, no doubt. Yeah, towards the end. And I was really impressed with how he, all this, he kind of took the reins as a, as a real goal scorer for the team, as a go-to threat. Um, And, that strike scored a that goal, he what, had, three goal, scored a goal in the what four of the last five matches, I think. Right, oh, including yeah. both UCF goals that uh, in in regulation playing time uh, in the uh, in the conference conference tournament, tournament and had so, it turns out to be the game winner against JMU to win that first round. A really good JMU team. Yeah, they beat a future possibly MLS goalkeeper in Bush, who was the 80th pick overall. Um, so you know, yeah, right. I think Dorado really and remember. Now you got the quick turnaround with the fall. In fact, the only time Coach Calabrese even smiled in the fall uh, during the post game, when I brought up the fact, hey, this is what you wanted, right? Spring, fall, sport. Mm-hmm. And now you got a quick turnaround to the fall, and he's like, I don't want to have time off. He, he you know, and <laughs> he, he wants, yeah, he wants to get right back after it right yes, away. Yes, he does. He does. And now these guys, like a Luca Dorado guys, got all this experience. And you're gonna have a quick turnaround to the fall. So I think they got a head start on the fall already because they just went through this season. Yeah. So that's gonna be I'm gonna be very interested to see how the conditioning and the training works with these guys through the summer as we head into the fall. What's this team gonna look like in the early part of the season? How does UCF train change what they do? And this is true for the women's team as well with Tiffany Roberts. Hey, I can by the way, happy birthday to Tiff. She just had her birthday this week. But um what's the what's that going to look like because now it's a lot different with that. Well, with, I, with I the think way you, the calendar works out. You bring up a great point. I think you could include volleyball into this. Volleyball Going too. from a spring to the fall, is there? And, and we've kind. I'm going to make this comparison. The NBA, the NBA had their bubble season, right? Remember they had mm-hmm. the bubble in Orlando. They didn't finish till what October, right? If I remember yeah. now, it's over. usually they're getting ready for the new season in October, right? And they they decided to come back around Christmas mostly because TV wanted them to come back in Christmas, so they had a short 
period of time there. You look at the NBA this season. I've covered the NBA. It's been injuries after injuries after injuries this season yeah. in the NBA. And, and Brian Windhorst of ESPN has even said, look, this season's basically a get-it-in season. I felt the spring for the fall sports were kind of a get-it-in season. But you make an interesting point. How do these guys come out from a from a standpoint of a health, physical health standpoint, but also from a mental health standpoint of you just played a season, a sprint, and now in a few months you're going to play another uh, season. How do they handle it uh, on all those sports would be, be very, very interesting to see uh, how that goes. Not to mention you have a, a recruiting class and then you got guys that are leaving, who's coming back and all that. Remember with these, expand, these rosters. So it's going to be very interesting uh, how the fall looks for all these sports in the fall. Yeah, oh boy, this is going to be one of the most intriguing off seasons I think in UCF sports history with how this is all uh, shaking out. So, congrats again yeah. to uh, like Calabrese even said he's got players that are already signed up for summer B. Yeah, which is just all around right. the corner. <laughs> so, so, congrats to uh, UCF. They finished their season uh, nine four and one, just one win shy of ten wins. Um, I guess you you know some you could argue that well they actually did win ten games because of that uh, that uh, semifinal match against SMU in the American, but officially that goes down as a tie because it went to penalty kicks. So uh, that was their lone tie. But I guess you could say yeah they won ten matches in in fifteen in fifteen games and back at it again in the fall. So congrats to Coach Calvary's and the guys on an amazing season. Let's switch forward to uh, some uh, NCAA postseason action. That is in the offering uh, right now for UCF, specifically on the tennis court. Uh, UCF men's and women's tennis are in the NCAA's once again. Uh, we and the best part is Eric Lopez; they don't have to leave home because they're both teams are hosting the first two rounds, assuming they get through all the way uh, the, before the remaining the remainder of the tournament, the Sweet Sixteen, and and so forth is held at the USTA national campus as well. So uh, let's start with the men's team first because they earned the number nine seed. Also, Gabe DeCamps is an automatic qualifier <clears throat> in the singles. So after the team competition is over, no matter what happens, Gabe gets another shot um, at the uh, at winning the NCAA singles um, title. But uh, UCF will play Monmouth, Monmouth College. I actually have some relatives who went to Monmouth. My cousin Denise went to Monmouth. Are you going uh, to the match? I mean, Kenny's asking, that, like, are you going Saturday, to the match? I Saturday, mean. May eighth. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna be tough because I got family in town this weekend now. But I want to see. I think I think not this weekend, but the following weekend might be a good time to do it. But um, second round would take place on Sunday at noon. But Saturday, May eighth at two, UCF against the Monmouth Hawks uh, at the uh, at the USTA National Campus. What's your thought right now on the bracket? What are we looking at right now for use for the men's side, considering that they got the automatic bid? Um, they will play the winner of Mississippi State and huh. Miami. Huh. Huh. Uh, you'll hear this when we air our my interview with John Roddick here in a momentarily. I'm not surprised by this. I kind of te- I thought this could be a possibility with UCF having the home court advantage throughout. I had a feeling they were going to get a stacked deck, and boy, did they ever. Mississippi State is a team that worries me a lot. This is a team that some people thought could host this in, in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Some people thought they could be a top 16 seed. They're neither. Instead, they get bust into here to take on Miami, a Miami team that played UCF earlier this year, went the distance, was 4-3. to three. 
That is a rough second round match. You're hoping if you're UCF that they beat each other up and play lengthy set matches yep. and they use it quicker. Everybody you know, gonna, goes three and, and yeah. it's a four to three final. Yeah, right. Because this is a rough second round matchup, a very dangerous matchup. And I'm not surprised based on the accomplishments that UCF has with the home court advantage. I think the committee basically saying, look, you guys have home court advantage throughout the tournament. We're going to make you earn it by playing and mm-hmm. you know tough schedule there but look they're ready for it and you and the, the advantage the UCF has they're obviously first time program history number 9 national seed hosting and you've got a head coach that's been through this before in John Roddick who has played for national championships at Oklahoma and I talked to him after the selected show about this process about hosting and what's it going to take to be very successful and make a deep run here in postseason in your backyard well, Coach, congrats here on number nine national seed, first time for the program. Uh, just kind of your initial thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting for the guys. They, they put in a lot of work to, you know, it was one of the, our big goals is to be a, a host site for the NCAAs. And, um, you know, and so that's kind of the second goal we accomplished after the conference tournament. So it was nice to, you know, it was nice to stay here because I think everybody was wondering that you knew that a couple sites were going to get moved around and, you know, everyone that was in the top 16 was hoping that you weren't going to be one of them. And so we're we're excited to not have to travel. We can keep our normal routine. And, and they earned it. You know, they earned the right to, to host. So I'm, I'm happy that we're going to be playing here. What was, Going into it, what was your thinking as far as going to the selection show? you have any thoughts, predetermined thoughts? Or did you just kind of say whatever happens, happens? Yeah, it's, you know, they have a tough job. I mean, it's, you know, it's to, to put 64 teams kind of in order and, and get it fair. And so I, I think the draw, especially this year with, you know, not as much uh, interconference play as there normally is, it, it's, it definitely wasn't easy. So, um, you know, I, I think they did a, a good job with it. I, it. It's just not a, this is probably the most difficult year ever, you know, now it'll make normal years look easy <laughs> after this. So, uh, you know, so I, I was happy with it. I, I think, you know, there may be a few things that, that people are wondering about, but I, I, I don't think there was any way to avoid any of that this year. Um, just with the way, you know, the way the Big Ten was and some of the teams in the Pac-12 weren't, weren't traveling for a while. So it just, it just made it really hard to do it. What does this day overall mean for you? You're the director of tennis, obviously the head coach of the men's program, but you help with bringing in Brian and help build the women's program. And here you are, both of you, number nine national seeds, both conference champions, both going to host and both, you know, for the duration of this tournament. This has to be some a prideful day for you. I know this was something you expected when you took the job. That was what you're working for. But still, now it's reality. It's it, what's your what are the emotions like for you on that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's fun to watch Brian um, do what he's done with the, the women's program. I mean, he's, you know, probably had the biggest improvement in the nation over the last, you know, four or five years. And, um, you know, and, they, and they're every bit as deserving. And they've, you know, they've been in the top 20 a little longer than, than we have on the men's we've been we've been close and and this was more of our well last year we were kind of having the breakthrough year and then we had the the pause with COVID and then you know we picked up where we left off and you know so to watch both teams to to both end up with a nine seed at the same time is kind of funny um because I think there's a friendly competition between the the women's team and the men's to see who can be ranked higher so it's but you know to get this all the all the student athletes here deserve it and the players really work hard to to get to this point and, and, you know, and kind of believe in what we do here and, and believe in what Brian and I were telling them when they, when we were recruiting to, you know, that we'd start playing on the stage and, and, you know, and here we are doing it. So, you know, now though it's, you know, we got to get ready for the tournament and, and, you know, we want to make a run. I mean, it's the season's not even in my mind close to over. And um, I know Brian thinks the same way. So, you know, we've got to 
have a good week of practice and, and get back at it. For your team, I know you had high expectations when we talked before the season, but it was kind of putting it together. Was there a moment during this unique season? Because I know you had some questions how this season would go just because of all the uncertainty around you, not necessarily your team. Was there a moment where you thought, hey, we can accomplish what we ended up accomplishing in the present time? Yeah, I think when we played A&M and we lost that match 4-3, we had match points in the doubles to win the doubles point. And then we had match points um, at, I think of that day, it was three singles. We had f- four match points. So we had two in doubles, four in singles. So I told the guy, I said, look, this is one of the top teams in the country. And we had, they won four points. And in two of those points we won, we had match points. You know, so I said, I'm trying to find a reason why we can't compete or beat these teams on a regular basis. Um, and so I think for us, that was the, the turning point. And then, you know, shortly after that, we had the, the comeback win against Wake and we had that really tough road trip uh, and then beating Oklahoma, four, Oklahoma State 4-3 and, and Oklahoma 4-0 on that road trip. Um, and so I think that was kind of that, that time period. I don't think there's ever one moment, but I think that was the moment. I, I, it answers their question. I mean, if you can get where you got match point, I mean, you know, everyone in tennis knows you, you should probably win that match, you know, and you're in position to win. You need to close that out and you're, you're, you're right there. So, you know, for us, I think that was the, the eye opener where we said, okay, we're, we know we're at that level, top 10 level. We need to, now we just need to go out and prove it and do it and, and we can do that. And so I think that was, that A&M match was, was, even though we lost, it was pivotal for us. Of course, a player that's certainly taken a lot of attention nationally as well is Gabe DeCamps, who's been in the top 10 all year as high as number three at one point. Discuss his growth this year, what you've seen from him here, taking it to a different level. Yeah, he, he had a tremendous start to the year. I think at one point he was 14-1, and one and um, you know, the season wears on you, and, and we had teams wanting to always play it out against us and you know, when, when we had it clinched, and that wears on, you know, especially if we're playing one. So, um, you know, I know that Gabe's one of the best players in the country. I mean, I think every, every team in the country would, would have him at number one or, you know, number two on their team. So, you know, we know we've got an All-American there. He proved it last year becoming an All-American in singles, and so he's doing it again this year. So, you know, I know that one spot, you're not always going to win there, but we can compete with the best in the country there. So it's not, you know, a lot of teams will give that spot away when they play against another top player, and, you know, we're not in that position with Gabe. He's had a tremendous year, you know, really hard worker, probably the hardest worker on the team, and, you know, so he deserves that. But what comes with that, too, is a tough match every single day, you know, and so that's the challenge for those guys at one and, you know, in two a lot. For those that don't follow your team on a daily basis, speak to the, this roster and this depth because your depth was so huge this year, especially with the matches. Uh, you know, even in the conference tournament, it really showed that that you know you could kind of pull away. We have so many options how to get points from a double standpoint, pairing, even and from a single standpoint. Just talk about the rest of the team and, and how proud of you of this group. Yeah, from from two to seven, you know, I think Gabe separated himself a little bit, um, but even you know, even there in practice, I mean, those guys can take sets off and beat him. And, and, and so we don't drop off much, especially from two to seven. Um, and I think that's what you, you're alluding to at the conference tournament is, you know, like Alan Rubio played great in the conference tournament, but nobody saw, you know, that the outside could give him credit because it, it looks like he just didn't finish his matches, but, you know, he's playing two and he has tough matches and he was up a set and a break and in both matches. So, um, you know, so that's, that's what happens, but from two to then all of a sudden you start seeing those easier matches at four, five and six and, you know, guys taking care of business. And that's because those guys could play too. I mean, they could, they could come to me and say, coach, I think I should play too. And I'd say, yeah, I don't, I, I see your logic. I, I see how you believe that and, and you're not wrong, you know, but we got to have, we got to go in order, um, you know, and I, I'm the one that puts them in the order and, and um, you know, but that's, 
a testament to our depth. So, you know, we don't, you know, we just, our level doesn't drop very much uh, once you get past number one singles at all. Right. I mean, Juan Pablo is the tournament MVP in the conference tournament. Yeah, Trey Hildebrand was fantastic. I mean, you could have made a case for a bunch of different guys there. And, and to speak of what will take me through that, I, you know, have you had a chance to reflect on that conference championship? You have been so close previously in 17 and 19 to get over the hump, beat South Florida, beat them 4-0. They'll kind of pull away with your depth. What, did, what, what was that moment like for you to accomplish that? Yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting you said 17 and 19 because in 17, you know, we were – kind of the underdogs and, and nobody expected us to do anything. And we put ourselves in position to, to win the conference or not necessarily we were better than USF, but we, we beat them in the regular season and all of a sudden we were in the final and it's like, wow, we, you know, we might, you could argue that we're the favorite to win this and kind of out of nowhere. Um, you know, so that one, you know, and you lose that one, it's a tough pill. You want to win it, but it's not bitter. You know, 19 was, was a bitter pill. I mean, we, we hadn't lost a match in the regular season in the conference and we go in there and, and, you know, quite honestly, we didn't play a great match. USF played really well and deserved to win. I mean, they did what they have to do, and, and we lost the heartbreaker 4-3. So, and then not playing last year, it just seemed like a relief almost. I mean, it was like, you know, felt like such a long time coming. And, you know, really when we only had the one shot at it when we were the favorite, which really isn't, you know, you can, it's a, it's a one-and-done tournament. So nobody's kidding themselves that you have to win that tournament or, you know, that your season's a failure. I mean, you have to keep everything in perspective. And I'm definitely a person that looks more at the broad picture of the season rather than, you know, I'm never going to reduce the season to, to one tournament, you know, except for the NCAA tournament. I mean, you, you, you know, like that's where, where the marbles fall. But uh, in our conference and the situation, it's a one and done tournament. And so, you know, we, you could win one year and not be expected to. And then you could, you know, win a year when you, when you shouldn't have won it, you know? And, and so, you know, there's a little bit with that, but it just, with the COVID year thrown in there where we probably would have been the favorite last year, it just seemed like it was forever, you know? And for me, I, I, had, I had no patience. So it, it literally was, you know, it was relief when we won. And then you, then we enjoyed it. I think everyone was like, <laughs> took a deep breath and then you, and then they started to enjoy it. And so they've had fun with it. So, um, you know, and they deserve it. And it, it just feels like it was a two year deal because of, because of COVID to get to that point. Speak to the facilities, because that's going to be showcased here over the next month. I mean, even in the conference tournament, you won the championship outdoors. The women had to win it indoors due to uh, weather, but they're able to make that quick adjustment. And, of course, you're going to be hosting, but then the championships will be going from the Sweet 16 on for both men and women. It'll be carried on Tennis Channel from the quarterfinals. Talk about the facilities, because a lot of people are going to get focused, and honestly, there will be a lot of people are going to be probably going out there now here for the postseason. Yeah, the, the facilities are great. I mean, it's, you know, it's great for the tournament because everything can be on site, you know, from practice courts. I mean, typically when you go and play the NCAA to campus, there's going to be, whether you're using their intramural courts, which is a great opportunity to get your intramural courts resurfaced if the tournament's coming in, but it just, everything's the same, you know, so those outer courts are, are the same pretty much as the, the collegiate center and, you know, the viewing's fantastic and it can accommodate a ton of people. Um, so I think, you know, in 19, when we had the tournament here, I didn't hear very many bad, bad things about it. And so the, the facility was designed with this in mind, you know, and so it, it's, it's going to be a, a great, great time, you know, indoors is if we go indoors, that's the one thing that could, you know, but could bog it down. But typically in Florida, you get the rain showers, like, you know, we just had one and, and they're gone, you know, so, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a great event. And I think people are, it's easy to get to restaurants are great. So all the things that teams look for are, it, it makes your life easy. So I think, um, I think it's going to be another, successful and just like 19. You had some time off here between the conference championship and your first round match. Was that something that came at the right time for your team here to kind of reload here and get ready for this tournament run? 
Yeah, I, I'm big on rest and, and, you know, we took a couple of days off. We even had guys the, the first day back after two days was even optional. And so a couple of guys took another day, um, you know, and so that, that's, that's nice that you have that luxury to, to do that. I mean, these, these conferences that just had their uh, tournament this weekend and now they have to turn around and be somewhere on Friday, you know, or maybe even Thursday practice and maybe a Friday match or Saturday. It's, that's tough, you know, I mean, that, and then you got to do it again. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad our conference is, um, you know, is listen to the coaches and, and we said we wanted it that weekend. So we had that little, little bit of a breather so we can just get some rest. And, um, you know, I, I, that's a, it's a good move. Cause I think most conferences have kind of gone to that, that model. So I, I, I wouldn't want to be one that's in the big 10 turnaround and having to play again on Friday or Saturday. That's, that's pretty tough. Obviously you got uh, open with Monmouth and you got Miami and Mississippi state in the same draw. They'll be coming here. I know you have, you have to, you'll work on that as far as knowing them, but kind of initial thoughts on the teams that are coming here. Yeah, I mean, Monmouth, I, you know, I don't know that much about. We haven't gone up in the Northeast, so I, I really don't know them. Um, and then Mississippi State and Miami, we know Miami, we know well because we play them every year, and, and they're, they're a tough team. I mean, I know they – I think they had two COVID pauses this year. Um, you know, they were a top 20 or 25 team last year, uh, and they even added players without losing them. So they're, they're dangerous. I mean, they're probably the most dangerous team outside the top 30 in my mind. And so – uh, so that Mississippi State Miami match will be a it'll be a really good match because Mississippi State's tested. I mean they're, they're ranked 16, you know. So you, you look at it where they could have had an argument to host, um, you know. So that match is going to be that's going to be a tough match. Um, you know, I, I probably figured Miami was going to be in our region just the way it was looking that they could drive here pretty easily. We're not conference, so I figured they'd either be here or Florida. I figured it was going to be ours, and so um, that wasn't really a surprise. So the you know the mystery for us was going to be that other one, and also to make sure that we didn't get shipped out. I mean, we didn't, we didn't want to have to travel right. this week. So, you know, it's really, if you had to, you're one of those teams, you got a little unlucky. And, you know, fortunately we, we got the right side of the coin on that. What's going to be the keys for your team now moving forward to make the deep run you want to make to be successful in the tournament? You know, we just do the same thing. You know, it's uh, we, we it, you don't treat this any differently than your other matches. And, um, you know, you don't make a bigger deal out of it and practice will be the same. Um, you know, we'll keep working on the things that, that we need to work on. We don't, uh, we don't do anything special uh, coming up to this other than the extra days off after the tournament. You know, the kind of, that would be the, the only difference that we do. But, um, you know, I just we just treat everything the same way that, that we would. You know, we, we've still done some conditioning. We've you know, I think some teams probably stopped doing that. We, we, we do some to, to kind of maintain. We're not trying to we're not trying to kill them or anything and, and develop that. But we want to make sure we stay strong and fit. But, but you know, we have a way of doing it. And, um, you know, as that OU, we, we made some good deep runs. And so we, you know, I hope to like to think I know what I'm doing. Maybe it was lucky. You never know. But, uh, you know, it, it's been pretty consistent. And I, I just don't change. I don't change anything. And, um, you know, that that's kind of the biggest, the, the most important thing. So that way they just treat it like another match because it, it is. It's just another another match. All right. That was John Roddick in the post-match. By the way, I want to make a quick point to you. mentioned, obviously, Gabriel DeCamps uh, qualified for the singles. You got Trey Hildebrand and Pavel qualified in the doubles. Yeah, so Bogdan Pavel, yeah. UCF is one of the few schools in the country that is in play for the national championship for the team competition for singles and doubles. Not many could say that. Uh, so they're at home. This is exciting, but I am nervous. I am very nervous, Jeff, about that Miami-Mississippi State winner playing UCF. I think that is a rough might be. I don't think a national seed has a harder second round draw than UCF men's tennis does uh, with Mississippi State Miami winner. Yeah, you're probably right. Now UCF did play Miami earlier this year. They beat them in Coral Gables four to three. Yeah, 
Um, they have not well, played and, Mississippi and, and, State. Right, and you heard John said in the interview, Miami's had a couple of COVID cases. Otherwise, he thinks they would have been higher ranked as well. You Probably could argue right. yeah. they got two top 25 teams, basically two teams that could have maybe hosted if things would have broken a certain way in that bracket. It, it's the group, you know, in World Cup soccer terms, they always talk about the group of death. Yeah. Where you have the, you know. El Grupo del Muerto. Where you got four teams that are just going to beat each other up. You can make the argument UCF's part of the group of death here in men's tennis. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So uh, they get started uh, on Saturday against the Monmouth Hawks. Meanwhile, the women's side, same exact situation. They're the number nine seed. They're hosting the first two rounds. Uh, also, uh, in the single side, uh, Valeria Zaleva and uh, Rebecca Stolmar also earned uh, bids in the singles uh, tournament. But as far as the team is concerned... They're number nine. They're the number nine seed at home, and they will face uh, Charleston Southern at 3 p.m. on Friday. They're actually the first ones to go uh, between the men and the women, and then they play their second round match on Saturday. Um, compared to okay, so here's here's my thoughts on this, Eric. Compared to the men's team, I feel like the women's team is kind of floating under the radar here. I don't think I don't think as many. I, I don't think the national landscape is taking the UCF women's tennis team as seriously as they're taking the men's team right now. And I think that bodes well for you, even though they're a national seed and they're hosting, I get it. But there's something about this team that's like, I don't know. They just feel to me like they're just floating under the radar right now. Well, I think it's a couple things. Number one, uh, the men's team has had a a lot of top 25 wins down the stretch. Okay. Whereas the women kind of, you know, coasted. Number two, look at the head coaches. You got John Roddick's a big name, dominant personality in, in the sport of tennis. Women's got Brian Kenyanko very quietly. Hey, you know, we're just here. Got to get better in this. Boom, boom. All he does is win. Yeah. <laughs> John knows that because John hired him. And this is a team that's sweet 16. You know, hey, we hope that experience pays off. But, you know, Brian Kenyanko knows what he's doing. And I talked to him after the selection process about his team and where he feels they're at right now as they get the chance to make some history and make that and that experience. They remember Sweet 16 lost to Pepperdine on the road. This time, they're at home. Here's Brian Kanyeko. Well, Coach, uh, congratulations there. The number nine national seed, first time ever in program history to, to get a national seed. Uh, just kind of your reaction now that you've had a, a few minutes to think about their, uh, being that making that honor and obviously your bracket. You know, obviously happy for the team to uh... – to get into the tournament and host for the first time. It's obviously a testament to, you know, what they've been able to do, but, uh, you know, obviously my mind races to Friday right away and uh, already nervous. So, but, uh, you know, I'm excited for the team. I think they, they deserve it. And, you know, we're going to have to do some research on the first round and, uh, you know, be ready to go. Did you have any expectations going into the selection show? Any thoughts seating wise or anything like that? Or did you just kind of have an open mind and just say, you know what, whatever they do, we'll just go with it. Um, no, you know, it, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, you didn't really know with the COVID year how they can mix things up with uh, a hosting perspective. Um, I thought we were obviously deep enough in the rankings that we probably didn't have to worry about that, um, you know. So uh, I knew we, we were going to be around that 8-9 seed and kind of doesn't matter because you match up uh, there. But, um, you know, didn't know who, who we're going to bring. Usually they do it regionally in, in Florida, so we obviously were – thinking you know Miami was a good good chance um but you know whatever it is it, we knew whoever was in the second round or first round it's not going to be easy at all so 
Well, the big thing is you don't have to travel. You get to bust at your familiar home field there, home court. How big is that? Whereas two years ago, you were on the road. You were the road, you know, the road team. You had to go all the way on the road as an unseated team. Now you get to at least stay home throughout the duration of this. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I think uh, there's there's pros and cons. You know, obviously when you when you when you play at home, you play at home. You're comfortable with the conditions. You know the courts. You got your fans, and and that's great. You know, sometimes when you go on the road, you get it in a routine. You know, you kind of are always with the team. You're at a hotel, so there's there's pros and cons. But obviously, we want to play home. We fight hard all year to to play home, and uh, I think the girls are going to be super excited to play in front of a home crowd and uh, you know try to get out of our pod. You went to that Sweet 16 in 2019. You got so many players from that team on this team. How much is that going to help you through this tournament, having that experience, having that taste of that success, and having that taste of, hey, we want more? For sure. I mean, no doubt that it helps. I mean, we have a veteran group who's kind of been there and, um, you know, knew what it took, you know, the effort that it took for us to get to the Sweet 16. I mean, it took everything we had in, in every match that we played, and, we're going to have to approach it that same way. And, you know, when we lost to Pepperdine, we had our chances. And I'm sure everybody would like to take three or four points back in the match they played because I think it could have been a different result. So, you know, the fine, it's a fine line once you get to the NCAA tournament. It's, you know, matches are decided by four, five, six tennis points, you know. So um, we're going to have to be dialed in and understand the fight that it's going to take to advance. How much of that experience too helped you as a coaching staff kind of going through that and maybe things you picked up on that you'll use this time around? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think, again, I think it's, a, it's you know, you, you try to, you know, you try to motivate and you try to, you know, get them to play hard, but at the same time to play smart and reserved and understand that it's going to take some poise, poise and big moments um, in these matches. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to stick to your taxa, tactics and still play aggressively and go for your shots instead of kind of wait for teams to miss, you know, and um, at this point of the season, it's going to be about who's, you know, tough enough and brave enough to take their chances in big moments. And those are the teams that sometimes advance. Obviously, for those that may not have followed, obviously you got a great group coming back from that Sweet 16 team, but you've had some great players throughout depth on this team. Just talk about for those that haven't followed your team on a daily basis about your players and some of the players that have stood out there, singles and doubles and create helping have the success. Yeah. You know, obviously it starts with, uh, you know, our, our seniors right now, you know, uh, Rebecca Stolmar and Sanya Kuznetsova is our first recruits, you know, um, Sarah Culbertson, another senior that's, they've been great leaders for us. You know, they've been through it all. And, um, you know, Rebecca has been a rock for us in our singles lineup was a doubles all American last year with Marie Mattel, um, which was a, a great accomplishment for them. Um, you know, they've been a great doubles team for us. You know, Lara Zaleva has been um, has been improving every year. Um, you know, has a chance to be an All-American this year in singles. Is currently top 20 in the country, playing really good tennis. And um, you know, we've always played pretty good doubles. I feel we've we've done a good job, uh, and that's going to be important for us in the tournament. But you know, um, you know, we have good players, but you got to show up on the day, and, and uh, you know, you got to come out with some confidence and and uh, some guts, and and uh, you know, do well the next day. Both you and the men's team, number nine seeds, both winning conference championships. We talked before the season about what this is, you know, that competition, that friendly competition between the both programs and bringing the best out of each other. And how fitting you're both number nine seeds. You both get to host for the first time ever, and you both get to stay home. I think it's great. You know, I mean, obviously, it, it, the teams push each other. Um, I think everyone's 
really into uh, you know building uh, you know this place into a powerhouse, and I think we're excited about that. Uh, I think our, our both our teams feel it, um, and uh, you know every year it's been uh, you know they've been outdoing themselves so far, you know, and it's been exciting to see that they just keep you know pushing the bar and the limits for UCF each and every year, and now we both get to host and to be the the, the same seed and. You know, we're just, we know that both teams are going to fight their, their butts off to try to play in front of the home crowd in the round of 16, and that's the only thing that, they, that they're thinking about right now. My last question, you're going to open with Charleston Southern. You've got Miami and FIU, some familiar teams. What's going to be the keys to being successful here and making a deep run? You know, we're going to have to do some research on Charleston Southern, and, uh, you know, if we're fortunate enough to get by that one, you know, whether it's FIU or Miami, um, you know, usually the key is the doubles point is, uh, is key in postseason, and um, and uh, it's going to be a bunch of six, four, seven, five, seven, six sets, and uh, you know whoever can you know come up in uh, in those moments and, and buckle down and, and win some of those key points. That's what it's going to be. You know, I mean, all the teams are going to be motivated, and and uh, we're all used to this weather, so I don't think any of us are going to have a, a weather advantage. Um, but you know, it's going to be deep in sets, and who's going to be able to be tough enough to come through it. Brian Kanyeko talking to us there on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Now, the winner of UCF and Charleston Southern in that first round match, uh, they got another tough one. FIU and Miami, the battle of uh, the battle of Miami taking place on the uh, on the other side. Uh, quick peek at the schedule for uh, UCF. They played Miami on, back on Saturday, February. Beat them four 13th, zips. Four nothing. Uh, they play FIU. No, they did not play FIU, but. That doesn't mean it's going to be any easier. Of course, familiarity, right? And now you got a target in your back. So uh, we'll see what how that plays out. But you know, I think they're ready for it. They're excited. The big thing is they have the hope. You know, they're comfortable at home. I think that's huge in tennis that you're comfortable in your settings. I think that will help them and get through some of those nerves. And it helps, by the way, when you have two ranked singles players in the country in Valeria Zaleva. And, of course, Rebecca Stomar, the senior, who, by the way, both qualified for the singles NCAA championship. Think about this, Jeffrey. Prior to this year, women's tennis in the hist- in, in, in program history have now had three players that have qualified for the singles championship. Two of them are on, is Valeria and Rebecca Stomar. Yeah, yeah. That's unbelievable. Tremendous. Unbelievable. Tremendous job by Brian and his staff. Tremendous job by the players, especially yeah. this season. Uh, they're 18-4. and four. Uh, boy, and the the it's for both tennis teams. The carpet is just laid out in front of them. Like here it is. It's a great opportunity. I don't think it's their best. I'm not going to go as far as to say it's their best opportunity because they are going to host uh, NCAA championships here moving forward. Every I don't know every other year or so, or something like that, or I don't know the the dates and with this program growth. But man, what an opportunity! This is best opportunity that they had to this point. Listen, put put to aside 2017 football. Just put it to aside. And all that stuff. Can you remember a UCF team with a legitimate shot here for a national title that you have right now with these two tennis teams? Not as good of a shot. I don't think so either. Not as good of a shot. Maybe golf at some point, possibly rowing at some point the last five years. Right, when golf made the the regionals uh, final championships and there may be Coach Marin and and Waller. And so you're Mm -hmm. right, that could be one. So that's, but that's as close as it gets. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's talk to let's talk about some women's golf because they are in. First of all, a couple of big things we got to talk about. They're in the NCAA regionals. They got that at-large bid. Emily Marin's team 
uh, is heading to the Louisville Regional, which we play May 10th through the 12th um, this coming weekend. Uh, and uh, and yeah, at large, even though they finished uh, fifth in the American, uh, or excuse me, fourth in the American Championship, and and uh, head coach Emily Marin was it was quite vocal after that tournament that she wasn't uh, pleased with how that turned out. Nonetheless, the Knights get the bid. And uh, they will compete with uh, in the regional championships uh, Monday through Wednesday. So, uh, and, and again, and it, that's only the first bit of good news that UCF got. The other bit of good news was that Alyssa Lamoro, uh, who's a sophomore on the team, she qualified for the U.S. Open. She uh, she won the two day qual or she uh, or she she finished high enough in the two day qualifier that uh, she's going to go to the U.S. Women's Open at the Olympic Club. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a busy month for UCF Women's Golf between uh, between the regional, if they get through the regional, the NCAA championship, and then one of their players playing in the U.S. Open. And uh, I spoke with Emily Marin today, the uh, women's, uh, women's head golf coach for UCF, about all the things that are going on with the program right now, where she feels that they fit in, uh, and, uh, and what sort of opportunity that they have to make some noise uh, in the in the NCAA uh, regional. So here's my interview with UCF's head women's golf coach, Emily Marin. Joining me now here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, the head coach of UCF women's golf. Seven out of ten years, she has led her athletes to the NCAA tournament. Emily Marin joining me here on the podcast. What's up, Emily? How are you? Doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. No problem. Always glad to have you on because you're such a great interview. We love talking mm-hmm. to you all the time, and it's been a busy time for you this spring. Um, you're back in the NCAA tournament again. Um, you're in the NCAA regionals up at Louisville. Uh, you got some stiff competition up there going with you. South Carolina is number one in the country uh, on golf stat. Florida State, Auburn, you guys were 36th in the golf stat rankings. You come in as the nine seed. Um how do you like to draw heading into this uh, regional? Yeah, obviously we're excited again. I think that what we learned from two years ago when we made the national championship is your draw is important, but what's more important is just having the girls feeling good, believing in themselves, having confidence. You know, people ask, oh, what do you think about your seed? Last time we made it through, we were a 13 seed. And they, they had said no 13 seed had ever made it through before. So you know, a lot of things have to go right. A lot of things have to go well. It has to kind of be your week. So I think golf's kind of a, a tricky sport like that. So we'll get up there, play our practice round, get a game plan together as we always do and, and see where, where we end up after three rounds. The, I'm so glad you said that because I was kind of kind of dovetailing into my next question about confidence. And like you said, last time you guys actually had the tournament, you guys made it to the NCAA championship round. Um and, and, and got on that little run there. And a lot of your returnees are there, are, are still there. A lot of your key players are still back from that team. Do you, where do you feel their confidence is right now heading back to the NCAAs for a second year? Because they've been there before and they've done that before. Yeah, yeah, they're really excited. We have three in the lineup that have been to the NCAAs and made it to the finals. And I think they realize how important that team bonding and gel. And we honestly went out two years ago and our whole goal was just to have fun and enjoy it. I mean, being a 13 seed two years ago, we had no expectations. So I think that's the key in golf is if you just go and stick to your game plan and they're super excited and, you know, want to get back there. So it's kind of cool that now that's the expectation is to go and they kind of understand it a little bit more now. So 
like I said, we'll, we'll see. Um, we have an experienced group and then some younger players that, that are playing really well too. So it should be fun. Tell me about Anna Laura Collado and Pat Pitten. They've been so consistent for you through the course of the year. They both made all conference this year. Um, how instrumental have they been in your success this season and how much have they grown? Because they're still pretty young, aren't they? Yeah, right. I mean, with the COVID year cut short last year, Pat was having a great freshman year and would have been on track to, to be on the all-conference team or freshman year. And um, so it got cut short last year. And then Anna Laura, she's done nothing but just grow every single year. Um, she came in as a freshman and wasn't in the lineup that much. And now, I mean, gosh, two years ago, almost won the NCAA regional. So, you know, we were super excited for them um, having a shortened season. I keep telling everybody we're just thankful for each and every week we get to play. And it's, it's nice to have them back and, and doing what we love to do. So we're, we're just grateful for every chance we get. How different has it been with COVID? Because, you know, obviously the season gets cut, gets cut off last year as you're heading down the stretch. And I know you guys probably had some high expectations of what you expected to do in the postseason, And all of a sudden the breaks get put on and then, you spend most of this year trying to figure out, okay, well, how are we actually going to do this? Now, granted golf is, is the most physically distanced of all the sports that we have here at UCF pretty much, but that doesn't make your job any easier. So how has it been different this year for you? Yeah. Like I say to everybody, there was no guidance or handbook on how to, how to deal with a pandemic in your team. So I think every coach in every sport, it was almost just day by day and, you know, our, our girls, most of them, I think we had five back in the fall. So it was nice just to kind of be here with them in the fall and just practice. I mean, we, we never get that in, in our sport. We were usually playing tournaments fall and spring. So we got our freshmen in, got them kind of um, acclimated, adjusted that. That was nice to have them here. But what was great, like you said about golf, is they could play during the whole pandemic. It was the one sport where, hey, it was okay, you're socially distanced. And they, they really just got to play and practice a lot. So they've worked really hard and they came back ready to play. And it's just fun to be together. It's been hard because we can't do as much as we normally do. Even on the road, we have to like get to go food and we can't eat in restaurants. And they've been great about it. I told them, I said, hey, we just have to be prepared for anything and everything and be resilient, you know, and they've been great. And they all, you know, we're, we're doing all the protocols and they, they've been really mature about that. And, and I appreciate that. Has it been... Have you been able to do as much like one-on-one -on -one instruction, you and your staff, even despite all that? Because, you know, I, I know, like you said, the protocols, you know, everybody takes them pretty seriously. But, you know, in terms of getting especially the freshmen ready, you know, at this level, yeah, it's, it's, it's been still a lot of work. For golf. Yeah, like I said, for golf, it's a little bit different than going inside a basketball court or volleyball court, being outside. Um, we, we've had no issues whatsoever working with kids. And, yeah, it, it's been fine. Good. All right. So uh, one other thing I want to ask you about, how about Alyssa Lamoureux? She qualified for the U.S. Open. I know how proud you are of her doing that. She's only the second golfer in UCF history behind Stephanie Connolly to do it. And Stephanie did it as an alum. Mm -hmm. uh, Alyssa did it as an active <laughs> as an active golfer of yours. And, and she gets to play in the U.S. in the U.S. Open. How hard is that to do and how proud are you of her? I'm proud of Alyssa. She's worked really hard. Um, she's just a little grinder. The thing Alyssa will admit, she doesn't hit it as far as the other girls. So she always has longer clubs in. So I'm sure the course played long for her, but that's the great part about us open qualifying is it's a one day, two rounds, anything can happen. You just go there, see what you got. And she got through and we're, we're so proud of her. And it's just exciting. I mean, she's on cloud nine right now. So hopefully we'll take that momentum into NCAAs and 
she's actually asked me to caddy for her, so I have to uh, <laughs> get my caddy legs uh, ready to go out to San Francisco in a couple of weeks. So we're hoping for a busy month here with regionals, nationals, and then the U.S. Open. So it, it'll be a great experience for her and for us. I was going to say that's pretty well. You, have you caddied before? Yeah, I've caddied for a few friends, you know, here and there. Um, but you know, Caddy, I said to her, I want her to enjoy the experience and her parents. So I said, I'll do all the work and, and you just play golf and, you know, um, it, it should be fun. Yeah. You know, the Caddy said, just keep up and shut up. So I'll try to stay out of her way. And, you know, we, we have a good relationship. So I think it'll be a comfort for her to have me there and she can just go enjoy it and we'll, we'll see how she does. Well, that's awesome. And so, you know, we're so happy to see the success that you guys have had and, and we're looking forward to seeing you at the uh, at the Louisville Regionals. It's going to be at the University of Louisville's Golf Club, which is in Simpsonville, Kentucky. And the format is, 50, correct me if I'm wrong here, 54 holes, 18 teams, plus six individuals, right? Right. So the, the top six teams after three days will advance to the national championship. And then of the teams that don't make it, the top three individuals individually would advance. So you either make it as a team, be in the top six, if your team doesn't make it, you have to be at the top three of the remaining field. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll be keeping yeah. a close eye on it and refreshing golf stat frantically <laughs> awesome. as we see everything. So Monday, May 10th through Wednesday, May 12th, once again, at the University of Louisville Golf Club in Simpsonville, uh, Emily Marin, head coach of UCF <laughs> Women's Golf. Congrats, Emily. It's always so good to see you. Best of luck to you and the team up in Louisville the rest of the month. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Go Knights. <laughs> Thanks always to Emily. She is so cool to talk to. One of my favorite interviews in the whole wide world. By the way, this story about her her caddying for her player, Alyssa Lamer at the US Open is just absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to see that. I'm gonna watch I'm gonna watch the first two rounds just so I can see yeah. the two of them out there on the court. That is so cool. It that, is. That, that's so, gonna be so exciting. Cool. And uh, another great year for Coach Marin there. You know, we'll see what they could do in that Louisville Regional. It's a nine seed, but seven out of 10 years that she's been here, they've gone to the NCAA Regionals. And then two two of those years, she's had individuals play in the NCAA Regionals. So uh, just a tremendous success. She's the greatest women's golf coach, I think, in program history. I think she's on track, you know, in that trajectory. And uh, look, we'll see what they do. I know they're in the stacked regional with South Carolina, Florida State, Auburn, and Texas, top four seeds, but. Um, you never know. I think they're ready to play, but that'll be exciting too to get a U.S. Open and, and kind of build on this great tradition for women's golf. Uh, yeah. Very quietly producing players to play at a high level, and uh, you know I think that's to me. They've had Liz Early was a who played in a, a many years ago uh, in the U.S. Open there, and then obviously Stephanie Connolly, who I publicly owe an apology to Stephanie Connolly, who I shafted in my all UCF all-time female uh, athletes list. Mm. Well, that will be fixed this year when I uh, redo re, uh, the new version this summer. Uh, Apologies to that. Stephanie. Yeah, big apology. I do. Sincere apology. That's a that's a, that's a whiff because uh, she was phenomenal as well. But uh, she's now a UNF assistant coach over there. But, yeah. no, awesome. It's great news, man. It's great to have our golf programs there doing success. And, you know, even the meds here, uh, Jeffrey, even though they didn't make it as a team, they got – their best player to qualify for the individuals. Yeah, that's big. John, I was just a perfect segue. Johnny Travail is going to the uh, NCAA Tallahassee Regional uh, 17th through the 19th of May. Uh, he's the number one golfer on UCF's team, and he will uh, he, he will play at the uh, Par 73 Seminole Legacy 
golf club at the Tallahassee Regional as an individual, uh, as an individual competitor in the regional. So chance for him if he finishes high enough after that 54 hole uh, after, after that 54 hole tournament, he will he can move on to the NCAA championships. The way it works is there's 13 teams plus 10 individuals not on those teams. The teams always have five golfers, so basically it's an extra two groups of uh, of five guy five like wild card individual players. Uh, they go through the 54 holes, and uh, or, or, excuse me, it's it, with this one. I'm sorry, no, that's wrong. 14 teams and five individuals not on those teams. Uh, six, uh, 13. Some of them will be in, in other regions. They have more, but uh, the best five teams. And the best single individual not from those teams advances to the NCAA Finals. So if he's top among the guys who are not part of a team in the tournament, he goes to the NCAA Championship. So that's cool. So best of luck to Johnny. Congratulations on making it. Obviously, that's a tremendous honor. And looking forward to seeing how he does in Tallahassee. But I agree 100% with that. It's uh, boy, it's been really a good publicity for both golf programs. You yeah. got one now in the U.S. Open women's, you know, major qualifying. You got our UCF alum in the PGA Tour. I mean, we talked about that last week. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been a it's well, been a the US, current player in the U.S. Open on the women's side. It's yeah. great. Yeah, it's tremendous. Robert Dameron's having a great year as an analyst on the Golf Channel. <laughs> Can't complain about that. That's great. It's a it's a it's a uh, it's a banner year for UCF golf. I think uh, with, with all the success that they they've had individually, even though they didn't win a conference tournament. Hey, they're still they're still a national competitor and up there key. And uh, Johnny Travail, I think, is a good example of that. Remember when UCF won Tavistock a couple years ago, twenty nineteen? Yeah, it was his low round, a sixty four in the final round. He right that got UCF the championship, and that's that's huge. That's like. Tavistock is the the tournament out of Iowa. That's like the Masters of college golf. It's huge, and he's could be the next great golfer that's yeah. produced here that uh, maybe could do some things here at the next level. Yeah, so we can see we're, and guy from Canada. He's from Hamilton. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, that will do it for at least this segment right now. When we come back, we're going to talk some softball with Elo. We're going to talk some baseball with Elo. We got a lot more to finish up with here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. We're back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you. Uh, I'm recording this on a Thursday night. Uh, we're going to talk a little baseball and softball as we slide into the diamond. Let's start with softball. Uh, who? Uh, let's add, so, Eric, they go up to Ole Miss this past weekend. Rough weekend. Not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. Um, uh, got swept in three games. One of them was a one-run game. Five to four on Saturday. Ole Miss is good. I think there's, you know, that's been established. But now UCF is back home for the first time since that bizarre scoreless tie against Wichita State back on April 18th. And it's a big series because it closes out the regular season. And it's USF. Uh, May 7th, Friday, is the first game of the uh, series at 6, followed by a Saturday doubleheader at 2 and 4.30. And then the finale of the series, noon on Sunday, and I would imagine that they don't have a flight to catch, so no matter how long <laughs> that game goes... Now, I don't know if there's a bus drop-dead time for busing uh, this I, I doubt it. I mean, we still might get a 0-0 game, but it has nothing to do with the time, time right. drop-dead time. It just might mean the pitching we're going to see from both teams. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, but when, uh, but in, in talking about softball right now, so here's the story for UCF in terms of softball. All right. 
So you were right. Credit to you. All right. USF kind of pulled back to the field a little bit. Okay. So did Wichita. Right now, USF is 15 and 4 in the conference. Wichita State is 18, 5 and 1. They're in second behind South Florida. Tulsa's 13 and 6. UCF is 13, 6 and 1. There's your top four. Everybody else is Houston, ECU, yeah, and Memphis. That's going to be your top, out of contention. Yeah, that's going to be your top four going into Tulsa next week for the conference tournament. The question is the seeding will be right. the, the big thing. Now, what does UCF have to do? Because if I'm if I'm reading this right, they are. Is it two and a half games back of first? Well, they, yeah, they can't win the regular season title because even if they were to sweep, they would fall behind Wichita by a game, and that's where the okay. tie and that's where the tie kind of stings there a little bit. But here's the scenario: if they're playing spoiler, South Florida is the team. South if South Florida wins three out of four or sweeps this weekend. They are the American Conference regular season champions. If it's a split or UCF wins the series, Wichita State will win the American Conference. Okay. Uh, what UCF's playing for, now UCF could get as high as a two seed, or they could stay where they're at currently at four. They could also move up to the three spot. So that's kind of where UCF's at from that standpoint. But obviously you're playing spoiler role here against South Florida. It's a big series for South Florida because they're on the bubble. South Florida, some people think, need to win this series to kind of secure a spot in the tournament. I'm not in that camp. I think a split would work for South Florida to get into the tournament. I think UCF's in the tournament regardless. Uh, but that being said, you'd like to get a couple wins here to kind of go into the conference tournament. So are you thinking right now – okay, a couple questions for you on this. You're thinking right now if UCF – if you think UCF is getting into the NCAA tournament regardless of what happens. Yes, are you thinking that we're going to have four teams from the American in the tournament? I think we're going to get three, and I think Wichita State's a lock. I think UCF's okay. pretty much a lock. And the reason I say UCF's a lock, they have a win against Arizona. They have two wins against Florida. Uh, uh, to I mean, that no bubble team's going to be able to compete with that. Plus, Including one in Gainesville. Correct. Gainesville, Florida and Florida State are likely going to host. UCF's going to end up in one of those two spots. That's a, I mean, it's too, it makes too much sense. The question is which one, you know, we can get into that more next week. But uh, nonetheless, I think they're in. I think South Florida will get in, especially if they win this weekend. Uh, I think Tulsa's the team that probably needs to make a deep run next week in the conference tournament. Their RPI is at 75. That's a little high. They don't have a marquee win outside the conference. They need to take care of Houston this weekend. They're the one that needs a lot of work to get themselves to the tournament, but they could still get in. The American could get as many as four. I think the minimum is two. And I think if you had, if you put me, I, I think three is a likely number. This is the fifth strongest conference in the league. Um, and I think they, uh, they will get at least two, probably three teams into the field. And if Tulsa wins the conference tournament next weekend, that could be four bids. Conference tournament format is four teams. Is that right? Is that right? No. So it's no. seven. The regular okay. season champion gets the buy into the semis. That's why this weekend's ah. big. And the so they two, didn't shrink the tournament. No. Two will okay. play seven. Three play six. Four five, and the single elimination. So uh, I, I know I you. Hate that I love so it. Much. So I hate that. Uh, oh. we'll, we'll see what happens, but. Look, this is about this weekend. And look, you, it's no secret who South Florida is going to throw. South Florida is an old school softball team. They're going to throw their ace, Georgina Corrick. Yeah. You know, in the, in the day and age where people are going committees and staffs and all this, 
South Florida is going to throw Georgina Corrick, I guarantee you, every game this weekend. She's all to- four games. Oh, yeah. She's been doing that for the last few weeks. That's she did that last week against East Carolina, where she started in three of them and then came in the fourth game to close. I think she will do that this weekend. There is no question in my mind that she will come in and pitch in every four games. She may not start in one of them because of the doubleheader on Saturday. She probably will come in relief in one of those two games, but she will start in three of those four games. And the question's going to be, can UCF do something that nobody's been able to do in the American so far for the most part? And that's hit her. She is right now going to win her third straight pitcher of the year award. She should have been a national top 25 player of the year finalist. She reminds me a lot, Jeffrey, of Allison Kime and that UCF teams with Renee Gillespie in 07 and 08, where basically Renee said, I'm going to throw Allison in this game, and then I'm going to throw Allison in this game, and then I'm going to come in, I'm going to bring her in in relief. And oh, by the way, I'm going to hit her in the middle of the lineup because even though she's not our best hitter, I trust her in the play. That's Georgina Corrick, and that's how Ken Erickson is going to play this this weekend. Now, Georgina, listen to this. Seven times this season she's been named the American Pitcher of the Week, including this past week when she was also the NFCA's National Pitcher of the Week against ECU. You mentioned how she she pitched every, every game against ECU. First pitcher in the history of the conference to throw no hitters on back-to-back yep. days. Correct. She, did, she pulled the Johnny Vandermeer. She, yep. She threw two consecutive no hitters. And believe it or not, she threw – she actually – she didn't get out of the weekend unscathed. She actually lost the game. She finished the weekend 2-1 and one against ECU. But still, 24 and two-thirds innings pitch and held them to an average of 026. Yeah. I mean, no, that's, she's, that's she's, she's insane. Fantastic. She's fantastic. Their offense is – they don't hit for power offensively. They're gonna, His philosophy – and again, it reminds me of the UCF teams, Renee's teams in 07 You Win with pitching and defense, try to scratch out a run and get out of there with a one nothing, 2 nothing win. That's really their strategy. For UCF, I'm going to be very interested how they counter that. Do they match her with Aaliyah White? Two years ago, they played on a Friday night. I was at the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame at the same time that UCF and South Florida played. I'll never forget this. The game started an hour before the Hall of Fame started. Aaliyah White against Georgina Court. By the time the ceremony was done, I went back to the complex. They were still playing. They went 13 (laughs) innings. Nobody scored until the 13th inning uh, between Cork and White. We could be headed for a similar game like that this weekend. Or, so does she match her with Aaliyah? Does she match her with Gianna Mancha? I'm going to be very interested but can UCF scratch out some runs against her? And really, scoring first. I know that's a very mundane, obvious, like, duh, you want to score first. But in these, with this matchup, it is imperative you score early. Yeah. Because you don't want to fall behind against Georgina Cork. If you get a lead on her early. Yeah, if, you get, if, you, if you give her a lead, it's over. It's, all, yeah, it's, almost, it's almost basically cool. over. Yeah. Whereas if you can get a lead on her, can Mike pull her early to save her for the next game? That's yeah. where the strategy comes in there. You, in South Florida is not a, t- a team that's built to come from behind. So scoring first is pivotal this weekend. We'll see what happens. Should be a, a dramatic and emotional for a, obviously senior weekend. 12 seniors will get honored on Sunday. So uh, that'll be a busy ceremony day, but it uh, should be big. It's a big series. The conference championship on the line. I think for UCF, you want to turn this momentum around. You don't want – you know, that old Miss series to turn into a six, seven game losing streak. And now you're pressing going into the conference tournament. Yeah. You want to get some positive momentum there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So once again, the uh, schedule for the series 
Friday at 6, doubleheader on Saturday starting at 2, Sunday at noon. You're doing all the games, right? I'm doing all the games. I'll be joined by Jamie Lowprice for Friday and Saturday. I will be solo on Sunday. Okay. And uh, I have a feeling that one of those games I'll be there. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long weekend. I, it, we, you're gonna you're gonna get more than 28 innings in. I got. I, I I have a feeling that's a good safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go over to baseball. Hey, while y'all were sleeping on UCF baseball and everybody and everybody was saying this season's done, guess what they just did? They're at 500 right now. For the first time this season, they had not been at the 500 mark all year, and now they're at 22 and 22, 12 and eight in the conference, coming off of winning three out of four against Memphis last week, and that's at home. Now they now they hit the 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 big stretch here down the road. Wichita State coming to town this week uh, for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Doubleheader on Friday, starting at two. Saturday at 4, Sunday at noon. And this is despite the fact that we got the terrible news this this past week that Colton Gordon is done for the season. He's going to have Tommy John surgery, which means he, he may be gone next season too. And incredibly painful to hear, especially for a guy who was pitching so well this season. And you could hear and see the the sadness in uh in Greg Lovelady's uh, uh answer here we're going to play the bite from Greg here in just a little bit but um but yet UCF rallied won 3 out of 4 against Memphis and here's the situation for UCF baseball all right they are right now in uh, third in the conference all of a sudden i mean nobody really thought that everyone kind of took them took them a little bit lightly here after that rough start to the year but they have clawed back to third place in the conference at 12-8. and eight. Uh, They're behind ECU by, by two games. Uh, ECU's 12-4. and four. Tulane's at 13-2 and two in first place. The Knights are ahead of Wichita right now at 10-9. and nine. Since he's at 10-10, and 10, at USS at 7-9. and nine, And then Houston and Memphis are kind of picking up the rear. But let's talk about Colton Gordon right now. Because uh, as we hear from Greg Lovelady... Uh, in uh, in his uh, media session that he had with us earlier this week, this is just a real heartbreaker, and uh, and losing Colton Gordon is just a big miss. But most of all, Greg Lovelady is just disappointed for the kid. Yeah, it sucks. I feel horrible for him. It was tough, tough pill to swallow this week. I think for me and, and Nick, and obviously for Colton, I think he's handled it unbelievably well. Um, you know, you, you just feel for the kid. And he, he's worked so hard to have you know be told he can't pitch pitching the SEC to, to being able to go to a junior college and then come here and, and just dominate and, and really put himself in a good spot to make some money and, um, and to really get off on the right foot as a pro, like, uh, and, and just being the leader of the staff and, and just the preparation that he puts in, like how much he cares, how much harder he's worked, uh, how much he's put his body in the, in a good position. Um, you know, it, 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 it just sucks. I mean, it's tough, tough to see it as a coach to see somebody work so hard. And, you know, you, you try to tell the kids all the time that hard work doesn't guarantee success. It doesn't mean that things are going to go the way you want them to. Um, and this, unfortunately, is just a classic case of doing everything the right way. He's a great teammate, a great worker. Um, he does everything you'd ask. He's a, he's a coach's dream. Um, cares. He, he, when he's not pitching, he's on the top step trying to help the team find a way to win, whether whether that's through just bringing energy or, or – trying to pick stuff up or, I mean, just a coach's dream. 
Um, and, and you just feel bad for those type of kids that, that have bad things happen to them. And unfortunately in this world, bad things happen to good kids, uh, good people. So um, hopefully a learning lesson for all of us not to take things for granted and, and, and understand that, you know, you can do all the right things and doesn't guarantee that things are going to go all your way. And you got to be able to, and again, um, I don't know if I was 21 years old or, or 22, whatever Colton is. And, and something like that happened to me if I'd handle it as well as he has. Um, and so I, I think, you know, just, again, just, you say all these good things about him and there, there's just another thing to add to the, to the table of, in terms of handling adversity and, um, you know, to get that kind of news at this time of year and, and right. I mean, so close to the end and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and again, I mean, the first thing out of his mind was, man, I feel like I let the team down and, um, you know, I want to pitch this weekend and help us win and, and finish this off the way we, we felt like we were in a direction to do it. And, you know, it's just a, the perfect team guy. Again, the coach's dream and you just feel, you feel bad for him. Man, Eric, that's, that's as, as you know, emotional really as Greg gets sometimes talking about a guy like that. It is. It was tough to hear. You kind of knew something was up when he wasn't in the rotation again this weekend. You just wondered. And then unfortunately you get the news that it's an injury and, Man, that's a tough blow on a lot of levels. I think Colton was playing his way into maybe making some money, you know, for the Major League Baseball draft. And it's a big blow for this team. Obviously, he's their ace. That's the guy. You know, when I said this team can make a run here down the stretch, you know, you got to win three out of four, I think, the rest of the way here. I'm banking on Colton there. Now you lose Colton. So now, you know, who steps up? Well, Jack St. Clair has stepped up on the Sunday games the last couple of weeks, and their offense has stepped up. But that's a tough blow. You hope for the best for Colton and uh, that he can recover. The good news is with technology today, a lot of guys bounce back from these type of injuries. But you hate to see it. And it just, man, Jeff, it's just tough. I, you know, I think you and I actually are pretty similar in that. We kind of, you know, we're, we're pessimistic in some ways. In a way, this kind of helps in that. You know, we kind of accept the fact that sometimes it's not your season. It's not meant to be. Mm. Some fans can't accept that. They always have to blame somebody. Oh, this team, man, what they've gone through with the injuries, it just hasn't felt like it's meant to be. Right. But Matt Archer blowing out his knee, celebrating. Huge. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. You know, they and they have another numerous injuries. And yet they're still fighting. You know, that Memphis series got off to a horrible start. Get run rule by Memphis. That was rough. And uh, but they fought back and got the three wins they needed to get. And now they're you mentioned the third, but they're going up against a lot. I mean, the stack chips keeps going against them here. And you just wonder, <laughs> is it realistic that they can make this big push? We'll see. This is a big series with Wichita State, former MLB manager Eric Wedge. Yeah. Uh, we should have you know we should have asked Andrew about him there. He knows pretty well the Indians earlier. Uh, but Wichita State got off to a great start earlier this year and really got swept by Tulane and haven't been the same since. But their RPI is 66 going in. UCF's 99. This is a must series win for UCF. Now is can they get over 500 and continue to move forward? East Carolina and Tulane, I believe, are playing this weekend. So you're guaranteed that one of those teams is going to drop back a little bit. But you got to take care of your business. It'll be interesting. You know, yeah, Kenny Sirwa, AJ Jones, you know, Jack St. Clair. Uh, you know, can this staff now pick up the slack for Colton Gordon moving forward? And, it, you know, it's tough because it puts more pressure on a bullpen that's a little thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to they're gonna have to score runs to win some of these series. I don't believe this pitching staff right now with the issues they've had can dominate a series. They're going to need their offense – so, and you saw that in the back end of this Memphis series where they just overpowered the Memphis pitching staff. 
they're going to have to win some shootouts here, I think, to win these series. And they got to win them out. They got to win them out to have a shot at postseason. Uh, but this is a big one against Wichita State. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because as I'm looking through, when you look through the team statistics here in the American, you know, UCF is one of the better hitting teams in the conference. And they actually have been all conference season. They're third in the, uh, they're third in the American in team slugging percentage behind ECU and Cincinnati. Third in on-base percentage, actually tied for second, I should say, in on-base percentage with Tulane and ECU, the top two teams uh, the top two teams in the uh, American. And they're first in the conference in runs scored, 281 ahead of East Carolina. Now, the runs scored statistic is a little bit skewed because not everybody's playing the same number of games, obviously. But that's still it's still something that they should be able to hang their hat on. Second, It's got to be consistent just because the, the, their issue right. this year has been lack of consistency on the offensive end. They'll put up – I mean, think back to the Cincinnati series. Yeah, it comes in bunches. Right. They score 20 runs in that one game, and the next day they only they lose 10 to 6, or they score one run in the next game, stuff like that. Yeah. That's – you know, Memphis, they put it together after the first game. They scored 12, 13, 17. Yeah. 42 runs in three games after yeah. that loss. You know, can they build, and I think can they have the ability to do that? And I think they need to do that to help this pitching staff that's been bait up. And, you know, now with losing Colton Gordon, it puts more pressure on the rest of the staffs, and, and it just goes at a pecking order there. And uh, it's a bit interesting with Wichita State coming in, uh, who kind of figures this out, how quickly you go to the rotation or the bullpen is going to be interesting as well. Can Kenny Sirwa bounce back? He's been kind of hit around A.J. Jones a little bit. Uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. We've been seeing, obviously, Zach Hunsinker make a few starts here. So uh, we'll see what happens. But, look, the offense is talented. We know that. Josh Crouch is doing a good job. Jordan Rathbone had a monster weekend, has 11 homers now. And Alex Freeland, the conference player of the week, he's a talented player. Montez, they have the pieces. And I think that's what frustrates Lovelady is he knows he's got the pieces. He said that. And he believes that they can make a run here in the second half just like most love lady teams tend to do. They just got to stop getting injuries. <laughs> stop getting hurt. You know, yeah. Stay healthy. Wrap these dudes in bubble wrap. Get them back. Um, interesting here note for uh, UCF. They're going to start Hunter Pattison on Friday. Ooh. So so at least that's according to the um, preview on UCF site. That's so, a big news there. That's big news yeah. you just broke there. Wow. Now, now, Hunter has not thrown more than – uh, Pat, uh, more, three innings or more since uh, Cincinnati uh, back on the tenth, and I'm looking to see if there's if they have anything about whether or not he started. They haven't. It hasn't. They haven't. Well, he started the year started. in the rotation, struggled. Yeah, then he they dropped moved him out. into the bullpen, and it looked like the plan was to have him be like a, le- a high leverage relie- reliever down right. in, in the bullpen, like a long because, reliever, because they had to move Jack St. Clair to the rotation because. Patterson Patterson had been struggling. But now I think what they've decided is with Gordon out for the year, Patterson gives them their best shot from a starting standpoint because he has this stuff. We'll see if he could figure it out, you know, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays itself out. But that's interesting with Patterson going game one. I'm not totally, you know, it, but it, with Sirwa struggling, I'm assuming, I don't know, I don't have the rotation in front of me. You could probably read it off. I, I got it. Sirwa is scheduled to go in the second game of the double Of the doubleheader. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to go lefty-righty on Friday. Jackson Clare is set to go on Saturday, at least as of right now. And uh, TBD is uh, is uh, Sunday. 
So we don't know what they're going to wow. do. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy. That could be Johnny uh, Full, Full. What is that? What's the old Johnny Holstaff. Yeah. Johnny Holstaff. Yeah. I, I got to tell you this, right? When you not agree with me, all these coaches can't wait for this ser- this the season to end from a standpoint of these four game series, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, these four game series. <laughs> I tell you, it's been. I I I feel you, and I feel them too, because these four game series have been brutal. It's been a challenge. Now, there's a part of me that's like, hey, you know, kind of adapt, right? It's you know, adapt or die. You know, fig- you got to figure out how to get a fourth starter, and you know, this may we don't know this may or may not be the way that they go the rest of the way i don't know i don't know what the coaches are planning on doing but you know because it's it's them who decides you know how well they they did it because they didn't know how many games they would get in right when they made this decision there was so much uncertainty do you you think Um, though i like knowing what you know from the softball side yeah and knowing what we both know from the baseball side that if they have the the coaches meeting and they decide the format do you think they'll keep the four games? You no, think they'll throw it no. Out? I think they go three? back to three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They rather play other teams. You just, I mean, four games takes its toll. Just does mentally, yeah. you know, roster wise. Look, I think if they, if hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, I think if they had to do it over again, they wouldn't have, you know, gone to the four game series. But they didn't, you know. It, again, you don't know what's ahead. That was the right. cautious thing. It was the way to guarantee games to make sure you get games in. Right. When we and also, this, there's you know, no midweeks once they started correct. conference play. So that's so, why they added the extra game in. Agreed. So, no, no, I I think they will go back to three-game series because one of the reasons the American is down to six right now as far as baseball, I they missed those normal non-conference games they get in quality wins mm-hmm. that they usually get that puts them up to being a top-four league. They want those non-conference games. You don't want to just play your conference because that hurts your resume, uh, RPI to, if you play a team like a Memphis. UCF plays Memphis four times. You drop a game, it still hurts you in the RPI. Right. Whereas, you know, if you play a three-game series, you sweep, it's not as bad. So, no, I, I think they will go to a three-game series when we get back to normal, I think, in 2022 for both baseball and softball. A couple of notes right now on the uh, offense for UCF. Oh, by the way, Greg Lovelady, two wins shy right now of 150 for his UCF career. So wow. Hopefully, you can get that went by. That went by really fast, didn't it? Yeah. Um, Jordan Rathbone is the hot bat right now. He's he's hit four home runs in the last 10 games. So he and Ben McCabe are tied for the team lead with uh, 11 each. Jordan is actually leading the team in hitting. He's the only guy over 300 right now. He's at 304. Uh, Josh Crouch is hitting 298. Uh, and uh, Jeffrey Pena is hitting a robust 293, including an on-base percentage of 422. And he's 22 for 25 in stolen bases this year. So... That's really been, I think, what's been keeping the offense going. They've been hitting the ball for power, uh, and uh, and Crouch, Crouch and Rathbone in particular, because they're slugging over 500. Uh, McCabe is slugging over 500. So that middle of the order has really been clicking for UCF. Um, and now they're now they're finding John. Now John Montez has parachuted in, and actually uh, and actually had the walk off uh, homer against Memphis in the run rule game. Uh, to finish off the to finish off the series, which I think is really cool. I'm I'm totally in favor of run rule walk offs. Totally in favor of that, by the way, in baseball and softball. Let's do it. Oh, uh, for it. Yeah, I'm for it. Hey, that's it's a fun way to end the game. I'll tell you when you hit a when you hit when you hit a walk off home run to basically end the game on a run rule. So, uh, and and let's not forget Alex Freeland, who's been hitting really well. But he was the conference player yeah, of the yep, week this yep, past yep, week. Yep, yep. Hit 500, four doubles, six runs batted in against Memphis. Um, he's been great. He's he's really been uh, he's 
he's really stepped up in the last several weeks, I think. Uh, Alex Freeland has 625 on base percentage uh, and uh, contributed uh, 12 total runs over the series against Memphis. So congrats to uh, Alex Freeland, who's uh, first his first conference player of the week award. So, and hey, here's a chance. Once again, here's a chance for UCF very quietly. If all goes well, you get a good start out of Hunter Patterson. If the staff works and the offense particularly really clicks against Wichita, they could be over 500 and clawing for possibly second in the conference all of a sudden. Let's take them a game at a time. And yep. This team, you got to take it a game at a time, though. You can't get too, you know, you get this yeah. team is just, you know, I, until get, they- I know I get ahead of myself all the time mm-hmm. here and I get into trouble. Yep. But, uh, for, well, that first game, when you talk about one game at a time, well, we're doing it two games at a time on Friday because it's going to be a doubleheader <laughs> on Friday. Two o'clock ESPN plus uh, Mark Daniels will be on the mic for that. Uh, so doubleheader starting at two, Saturday four and Sunday at noon for UCF baseball. All right, Elo, man, that was a that was a big show. Hey, how many times? How show. often? How often you get three coach NCAA tournament head coaches on one show? Football talk, baseball. Four. Talk. We had Calabrese. Soundbite. We had yeah. both the we had uh, both of the uh, t- tennis coaches and Emily Marin from Women's Golf. In the show. By the way, you can check out all these interviews too on our YouTube page at Black and Go Benneret. Make sure you check out our Black and Go Benneret YouTube page. We have post games there. We got tennis. Uh, we got Scott Kellery's post game. I think you're pulling. Are you pulling up the uh, Marin interview in there? I got ready? I got Emily in there. We'll get that up. We're gonna have interviews there, and then as we get to postseason, we'll have some content there as well, and then obviously. Once we get back to football season, post-game shows will be there and a bunch of other stuff. So make sure you ch- check out our – subscribe to our YouTube page. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast, right, Jeffrey? That's right. You can subscribe to this podcast on whatever device you may have. You can subscribe to it, uh, obviously, on Apple uh, through the podcast app. You can subscribe to it on Android. We are on Spotify, so make sure you do that. If you already subscribe, awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Make sure that you uh, tell a friend, obviously, or two about us. And make sure that they subscribe as well. And if you really like what you hear, send us a rating. Give us a comment along all those platforms. We, and we it, will it not helps block, out the host we, show tremendously. And we will not block you like Taco Fall did to the Orlando Magic four times. That was... <laughs> just, I, mean, I knew you oh, had to get that man. in. And man, he took he, he took Mo Bamba to the rack. Yep, he was yes, crossing... He Taco Fall was crossing him over at the perimeter. What was that? It's moves he's working on. It's pretty. It's a good. It's a good clip to also highlight the magic season. What well. has gotten into Taco Fall? The Celtic bench went wild, man. Good for I would have too. He was great. Did the little dream shake up and under. That was fantastic. I, I, you know what? People are saying, "Oh my God, Mobambi, you got schooled by Taco Fall." I'm like, no, that's that's a bad. That should be a badge of honor now. Well, they're gonna. He's gonna hear about it because they're both of them are good friends. So yeah, uh, both, they're gonna that's, hear about it. That's why Taco did it. <laughs> I think. I think. I definitely believe that. And Mo, jeez, like, man, you've been working on that anyway. Congrats to Taco, getting some quality minutes in for the Celts. Uh, again, about our podcast, leave us a comment or, or and a rating wherever you listen to your podcast, and also uh, subscribe if you don't already subscribe. Please make sure. Uh, you do. You can also follow us on social media, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, we are at Black and Gold your home for UCF sports on SB Nation. You can also subscribe to our newsletter written every weekday in your inbox, 9 a.m. sharp by Jeremy Brenner, giving you all the latest from the day of UCF sports. So for Eric Lopez, by the way, special thanks also 
to uh, to Andrew Glukov for joining us to talk about the NFL draft back in the first segment. Uh, and thanks to you, Eric Lopez. Boy, these shows really fly by. They do. Uh, they do. And uh, boy, before you know, we're done here. We're all, sports is all. I mean, we're going to have to plan out the bannies, man. We're going to have to talk about the oh, awards. Oh, we're going to have a lot of arguments. That could, we may have to do that live. Yeah, that could be a fun one. Yeah, we, we, should, we should do, do that, that live. live. We should we may definitely do that, do that live. live. Show. All right. So, once again, for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon Singh. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. <laughs>